Welcome to the Movie Planet. I'm your host, Joe, and with me are the Dane and Thorin Oakenshield to my Azlog the Defiler, JC and Joel. How are we doing today? I like the little spiky things in my beard. Yeah. I think I could pull that off, like little yeah. fangs. You got time before the school year starts. I do. I should I should like put them in. <laughs> You're, Although, how would you get that? Would you actually have to like stick a tooth in your beard and then like wrap the hair around the tooth so it stays put? What if it was a piercing? You're, you are right I, for a dwarven beard. I was I was on pace until you said piercing. No, yeah. <laughs> no, not well, a needle scout. No, no. <laughs> this week we'll be continuing our franchise review of the Tolkien saga, which encompasses the Hobbit trilogy and the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Now, just a reminder to our listeners, we discussed this at a time, and we will be grading these as one complete franchise and not two separate trilogies. So this is for the franchise pantheon, all six movies. Now, if we look in the epic fantasy pantheon, we've got, in first place, Troy, with a perfect score of an A. We have The Hobbit, The Desolation of Smaug, with a B plus, a 10 out of 12. We have The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey, with a B minus, an 8.667 out of 12. And we have Labyrinth, Bringing Up the Rear, in fourth, th- fourth place, with a C minus, a 5 out of 12. Now, the higher the grade we give it, the longer it may be staying there. Only a film with a higher grade can kick it down on its butt from the Pantheon of the future. So we will discuss this movie, and in an hour or so, we will analyze it and grade it and figure out where it stands amongst all the other epic fantasy movies. This is a spoiler-rich podcast, so if you haven't seen 2013's The Hobbit, The Battle of the Five Armies, it's best if you stop right here, watch the movie, and then turn us back on to enjoy our discussion and analysis. But now that we've had that business, let's get down to business! This week, we are talking about 2014's The Hobbit, The Battle of the Five Armies, directed by Peter Jackson, screenplay by Fran Walsh, Philippa Boyens, Peter Jackson, and Guillermo del Toro, adapted from the J.R.R. Tolkien's novel The Hobbit, starring Ian McKellen as Gandalf, Martin Freeman as Bilbo, Richard Armitage as Thorin, Ken Stott as Balin, Graham McTavish, William Kircher, James Nesbitt, Stephen Hunter, Dino Gorman, Aidan Turner, John Callan, Peter Hamilton, Jed Brophy, Mark Hadlow, and Adam Brown as Dwalin Biffer, Boffer, Bomber, Feely Keeley, Oing Gloin, Nori Dory, and Ori. Woo! Orlando Bloom as Legolas, Evangeline Lilly as Toriel, Lee Pace as Thranduil, Kate Blanchett as Galadriel, Hugo Weaving as Elrond, Christopher Lee as Saruman, Luke Evans as Bard, and Billy Connolly as the dwarf who seems to come out of nowhere. <laughs> You know, I was bouncing my foot to you saying the dwarfs' names, and I bounced my flip-flop off, and it's now stuck <laughs> on your side of the table. <laughs> so I'm like half a hobbit, because <laughs> my, my foot's naked on the left side. Well, now a little background information about the making of this film from our resident dwarf, JC. How did this get made, JC? I thought I was a hobbit. All right. <laughs> Don't get on the set, get ready to shoot, and then ask for rewrites. Studios do this crap all the time, and they wonder why they end up with a shit movie. Smoke and mirrors, guys. Welcome to the movie factory. Movie? You know, I hate the word movie. I don't make movies. I make films. All right, to be honest, (laughs) this is the one movie where I wish I could go through every single detail in these appendices. These two appendices, part 11 and part 12, are my favorites. Uh, They are actually probably among the ones I watched the most outside of the original ones on Fellowship of the Ring and the ones on Return of the King are really good too. So now I'm just... (laughs) Just say you love them all. Exactly. (laughs) Still, I will keep just reading the titles and what they're about. So we are on Appendices Part 11, The Gathering Storm, (laughs) The Chronicles of the Hobbit, Part three. <laughs> <It's> unbelievable. <laughs> Subpart seven. <laughs> Subsection C. I love it. All right. First, first, uh, 
feature that you can watch is called In the Dungeons of the Necromancer. Ian McKellen and Kate Blanchett form a special bond on set. We watched them shoot those scenes. Uh, Kate uh, actually had some real fun with a Gandalf dummy. She actually had a couple points said, wow, he's a better actor than you are, Sir Ian. <laughs> so that's her holding him, right? Yeah. The, whole, she, the dummy? She's holding a dummy. I was going to say, I was like, that's not Gandalf. <laughs> no, it's a dummy. How bad is it that when he is in a scene where he can interact with actual people, they give him a dummy? <laughs> Just saying. He cries for two movies about having to act in front of a green screen. And then they're like, all right, you get to interact. Uh, she's not that strong. <laughs> Grab a coffee. Uh, we watch Benedict Cumberbatch learn how to speak black speech as Sauron. They actually, for one part, had him say black speech, which is really hard to say in the first place. They had him do it backwards. So, like, he had to, like, start high with his voice, like, ah, because, you know, when you speak, you start soft and you end with a crescendo. So he would literally, as he would record his lines, start high, say the black speech backwards so that they could play it forwards, and it gave it a very, very creepy tone. So the tone we hear in the movie, I mean, you, if you listen closely, you can still tell it's Benedict Cumberbatch. But, yeah, that's a flip-flop of him recording it in reverse. That's a cool editing technique. It's a really cool editing <laughs> technique, but it also proves how good Benedict is with his voice. Because mm -hmm. imagine having to speak a different language that you just learned on the day you're doing your lines, and then speak it backwards. <laughs> 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 so, there you go. All right. Um, this section, or this uh, feature also introduced something known as the Wacky Wheel of Wonder. Uh, crew members, uh, at the end of block one, they had three shooting blocks. At the end of block one... One of the major producers uh, would pull a name out of a hat, and it could have been an actor, it could have been a crew member, it could have been anyone associated with the project, and they would spin this giant uh, rewards wheel, and it had things on it like loser, like if you won loser, you got nothing, and everybody made fun of you. It could spin... Uh, and you could get a dinner at Zane's house, which Zane was the production manager that came up with this. Uh, you could even win $20,000. Like, they had, like, all sorts of crazy awards. And the whole point was to keep morale up because they knew this was going to be a really long shoot. So he would, like, have one person spin. Some days he'd have ten people spin. And it would just be, like, this huge part that they did on every Friday before they wrapped for a weekend. That's pretty cool. I don't know if you know this. Going with the length of the shoot... <laughs> How did do you know how this compared with the other two movies when it comes to the actual production shot? Like how long it took? Lord was of it the shorter, Ring. longer? Lord of the Rings was longer. Well, I know that, but I mean with the Hobbit movies. Well, oh, you mean of the oh, like did they spend more time on this movie than the other two Hobbit movies, or less time? Or? I think it was all about the same because they okay. shot them all at the same, and then all three of them are like rushing to be edited at the end. Gotcha. So right. I think it was about the same for all of them. Next feature ad is called Fire and Water. Peter puts Luke Evans through his paces on the Lake Town rooftops. And Luke Evans at one point was like, there's people that do this? He's referring to stuntmen. <laughs> and like he was just exhausted because it was just scenes of him running and shooting off of roots, rooftops. Uh, John Howe, uh, one of the uh, artistic designers for the show, talks about how and why he designed the Black Arrow. And then we watch how the digital people killed Smog and all of the different steps for creating that scene and putting it together. And the really cool thing on this feature was during the filming of a scene, I'm drawing a blank on which one it was, it snowed for the first time in Wellington in 40 years. So they actually <laughs> stop the entire production. Like they are shooting at night one night and I, I think it was Andy Serkis 
Uh, I think he was the director at that time. And he actually stopped production and everybody went outside. They're all having like snowball fights. And like you see people that are like 20, 30 years old and they've never seen snow before. Really? Like, wow. oh, yeah. Well, 40 years yeah. since it's had a snow. That's and true. so like it's just it was kind of fun. You're watching New Zealanders just act like kids in a snow, in a snow <laughs> fight. It was pretty funny. That is cool. The next feature is called Under the Shadow of the Mountain. While on location, cast and crew helicopter or were helicoptered to the South Island's remote area known as Rock and Pillar Range. It is very high up, um, so high it's actually in the clouds. Now, they were shooting on a clear day. Well, during that clear day of shooting, this is when they were shooting a lot of walking scenes to and from Erebor. Well, clouds and fogs unexpectedly appeared. And so, of course, all of the helicopter pilots are like, I can't fly through this because I don't want to fly into a mountain. So we have to get down. And so it's getting everybody down. And in the rush to get cast and crew and everybody down, there were like seven or eight people left on the top of the mountain. <laughs> like out, like literally just left there with equipment and everything. And so they made the decision to leave the equipment. They left, like, expensive camera equipment and all of this stuff just up on top of this mountain. Not that anybody would have been able to go up and get it, but still. (laughs) Some brave soul. (laughs) Literally, they all, one of them was a a French production manager. And I say he's French because he had a French accent. I'm not trying to, like... Like just, yeah, that's I a just, perfectly legitimate I, reason. I for just being realized French. it doesn't matter how else Is I finish that. Legitimate sentence. reason for being French. Anywho, unless he's French Canadian. So this production <laughs> manager was picked on an awful lot, and uh, by all of the cast and crew, and he ends up being the one that kind of turns into a little bit of a mini hero. That he sort of says to them, like to the other people that were stuck up there, we have to stop, start walking down the hill. Like, nobody's going to be able to come get us, so unless you want to stay here tonight. And so they start, I think it was like a three- or four-hour hike down this hill, and they eventually hike down low enough that one of the helicopters can see them, and then they get rescued, and they're brought back down. I think by the time they actually get back, it's like almost six or seven hours later uh, (laughs) than everybody else that had gotten back. So that was quite an ordeal. Jesus. In The Wake of the Dragon is the next feature while filming Lake Poop. Pukaki? Yes, that's. I'm not making this up. That's How are you name. not laughing Wait, at that? Lake, Lake Pukaki? Like who? Lake Pukaki oh, on the cool. South <laughs> Island. All right. Local extras get way too enthusiastic with Ryan Gage, resulting in a wardrobe malfunction. So you know the scene where uh, Alfred is like pulled and ripped by the mob after the people from Dale are sort of coming up uh, on the banks after Smog has been defeated. Well, they Spoiler, all threat. Spoilers. Sorry. Well, they all threatened to hang him. Spoilers. Um, and in one of the scenes with their shot, they literally pull his trousers apart. Like they, <laughs> that's what they mean by overzealous. Like they literally rip the costume to pieces. And the one costume director is just getting pissed because it's like every take they have to literally almost put the entire suit back together because it was just and Ryan, the actor at one point literally was like, yeah, I was they were overzealous. They were excited to be there. He wasn't like naked, was he? No, 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 no. no. Classic Pukaki. He wasn't like he wasn't hanging, bringing Pukaki. No, he wasn't. (laughs) The other thing they did was when you look back to those scenes, you see all of the accoutrements and the stuff on the beaches and you get a little mini taste of what it was like in the life of an art director, which their job is to set the scenes. And so they would shoot a scene and then he would have to remove all of that stuff within camera shot. 
And so if you look down the beach, everything in that shot had to be reset and removed or moved depending on what he wanted. And so it was just sort of walking down like that work and everything. The last part of this feature, Luke Evans won an award that they called Victoria's Cross. Victoria was a script supervisor. Her job is essentially to make sure everything matches continuity. Essentially meaning if an actor is holding this staff in this hand in this shot, he may not shoot the next part of that scene for another month. So when he comes back to it, she tells him, all right, you need to hold it like this, or you had this, this sword in this position or what like that. Well, Luke Evans apparently never needed reminding. He always knew exactly where his prop went and what it was supposed to be doing. So she gave him a victorious cross. Hey, Um, hey, hey, special delivery. Unfortunately, though, as much as they talked about this, of course, I go look up. Yeah, things are still missed. Gandalf has <laughs> Gandalf has the wrong staff in some scenes and things like that. So sorry. You can't catch them all. He tried. Got to catch them all. <laughs> all right. The next feature is called The Gathering of the Clouds. They start shooting the Erebor sets, which would be some of the largest built for the film. This was the moment when they really felt like they had been laying track in front of a moving train the entire three movies, only when they got to this section, they felt like the train had caught up to them. And it sort of talks through all those struggles of literally building a set that he or building a set that he has to shoot on that day. Like that's what I think I introduced this way back when we did the first episode. But he literally had to shoot like scenes down hallways. Those hadn't been built yet. And like you have the actors, you have everybody on set that day and they are finishing the paint, drying the paint just as they're getting ready to roll camera. Wow. It's just that's crazy. As filming nears its end, the dwarf actors played a pretty funny practical joke on William Kirchner. The scene where Thorin is handing Bilbo the Mithril shirt. Mm -hmm. Well, in the background, uh, as um, Graham McTavish puts it, you have the actors mulling about. And you get two type of actors. You get actors that take it very seriously. Oh, this is the piece of armor I'm going to pick up and put on. I'm putting it on because of this reason. And they have a whole backstory (laughs) they thought of. And then you have the second group of actors that are just mucking about. (laughs) I don't like green food. Which one would you be? Oh, I, like, <laughs> I know which one he would be. I feel like you'd be goofy, but at the same time, if someone's handing you like Middle Earth. Having done plays and musicals in my past, I have bu- done both. And normally, if I know the audience is going to be looking at me, I will take it very seriously and do like a character background. If I know there is no reason for the audience to be paying any attention <laughs> to me at all, oh, I so mucked around and screwed <laughs> screwed around in the back. I, I was definitely that person. Well, one of the things they did was William Kirchner's character is, of course, Biffer, and he has the axe stuck in his head. And so Peter Jackson had worked out where Biffer was going to have this hammer, and he's holding a helmet, and he's bashing a hole in the helmet so that he can wear, or so that the axe can fit through. Well, apparently all of the actors consistently hid the hammer. Like he would, <laughs> he would put the prop down in a spot, and they would be shooting, and he would go. Yeah, I know. Which one you would it's, a, it's a J, it's a group of JC. <laughs> it's a of JCs. <laughs> and so, the actual shot that's in the movie, he is hitting it with his fist because he didn't have the hammer. <laughs> so there you go. Ian, uh, at one point during the shootings of some of these scenes, he would consistently pull out Tolkien uh, and research some lines, and he actually added the line, "Please don't damage him." Uh, that he says to Thorin when he's about to throw Bilbo over. And uh, 
Peter Jackson. I suddenly drew a blank on the... Who was that guy? I'm like, who the hell? So he says the line, please don't damage him, in reference to throwing Bilbo over the side. And Peter Jackson looks at him and is like, where'd you get that from? And he's just like, I'm so happy you asked. And he makes a big show of bringing Tolkien over. And there's this fun little moment where Peter looks at him and he's like, you know, Tolkien never won an Oscar. Oh, the hubris that I had to talk about later. Because <laughs> clear, clearly there's a little bit of a tit for tat over who's doing the, really? uh, the playful. Not, oh, okay. No, not actual. Okay. No, 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 no. This was all like in good fun. I was waiting for him to go, here's the book. Do you remember this? It was called The Source Material. <laughs> no. I mean, he did that, but it wasn't like a literal jab. It was just right. like, this is where we can fix this. Gotcha. And then the last scene uh, that was sort of talked about in the Gathering of the Clouds uh, feature is Lee Pace was riding a horse for the scene where he rides up to the gate of Erebor. The horse's name was Moose, <laughs> and it was the biggest horse in New Zealand in the entire country. It stood 18 hands high. Now, Moose would be <laughs> digitally replaced by an elk. Wait, so, what? Yeah, because in the movie, in the actual movie... Oh, that's right. Thrown to wheels. Riding he's it. riding an elk. So they have a horse named Moose riding who's an- going to be replaced by an elk. With moose antlers. With moose antlers. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> Joel? I'm trying to figure Can't out make how many shot. hands. Like, is this just like a... Who, how big are these they hands? Do, that's how they measure horses, is they measure from hoof to the shoulder, and it's how many hands stack high. And how many was it? 18. That's more than you. It's more than I you like are this tall. Thing. Huh? <laughs> I thought I'd be at least to nineteen. <laughs> tall. I'm afraid not. He's a shorty. Hmm. Shoddy. Um, <laughs> now the other funny thing about Moose was Moose ended up getting replaced altogether because every time Lee Pace went to deliver his line at the gates to Thorin, literally as soon as he would start his line, Moose would start shifting <laughs> and just like walking out of frame. And it didn't matter how many takes they did. As soon as he started his line, Moose would start walking out. So eventually they just replaced him with a dummy horse. <laughs> They'll sit still. (laughs) The next feature is called Many Partings. Uh, Bilbo's farewell leaves the dwarf actors in real tears, and it talks about all of them shooting their final scene together, which was him leaving Erebor after uh, Thorin's funeral. Sorry, spoiler. Spoiler ahead. (laughs) Uh, Filming the funeral, however, as serious as the final farewell was, filming the funeral scene was apparently quite the muckabout, as everybody was trying to get the other person to laugh. Because, like, they were supposed to be so serious walking around there. Apparently, they just kept saying things to people off camera and, like, messing with them, just trying to get somebody to, to screw up on camera. Did Legolas have his pasties back on? No, <laughs> Legolas wasn't in this scene. Sorry. Um, and then the other thing that is shown in this feature is Peter, when every actor rapped, uh, he gave him a gift. Usually, like, uh, Thorin got an actual... Uh, or Christ. Gandalf got his actual staff and his wizard hat. So, like, uh, they we start seeing all of the actors sort of wrapping up and their little sort of end ceremonies. You're sort of getting their tears and their goodbyes. And Bilbo's Bilbo's is pretty hard, like, for me to... And the funny thing is, is I don't know any of these people personally. I don't. But yet, I watch these and I see how they're interacting and it just makes you sad that, like, it's over. 
It's too much male bonding going on in here for me. The next uh, featurette is called The Clouds Burst. As 2013 pickups begin, an unused acorn scene is shot and a fire scares the production. Uh, the acorn scene was a scene where Bilbo actually goes back to the Shire, plants the tree, and that all happens. And then there was. There was a huge, large fire at the production, and they end up calling in the fire departments and all of this. And so, yeah, that was pretty intense. That's not good. <laughs> A last desperate stand. Uh, a lot of the actors shoot their final scenes with each its own story. Uh, Ian McCullen shoots his final scene as Gandalf ever. His final scene was when he, he and Martin Freeman uh, sit quietly and he lights his pipe with no talking. Great. So Great li scene. literally Gandalf's final scene, he doesn't say a word. He just sits there messing with his pipe while Martin Freeman looks on. And that is the last time he is seen in the Gandalf getup. I always laugh out loud during that scene. Do you? He, he does. I mean, we're obviously not going to be able to watch it, but just like the, it is a very serious ending to the movie. And all, you just like see him like click, 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 yeah. just <laughs> cleaning out the bottom of his pipe. I, I, I love that scene. I think it's brilliant. And yeah, no words. He didn't say a single word in the last scene. A wizard Gandalf. doesn't have to say anything. He rise precisely <laughs> what he means to. <laughs> Out from the gate, Erebor pickups. Uh, the dwarves don their full armor and shoot the fighting scenes from outside Erebor. And they ad-lib the entire dialogue when they're on the war machine chasing after Thorin. They called it the dwarven hot rod scene, like when they're on that war machine yeah. vehicle that completely obliterates the laws of physics, like the <laughs> the barrel thing. But all of that line, like, hit him. Hit that's that's the scene that earns the extended version on our rating. Hit, hit, hit him in his jujubes, all of that. Like, that was all ad-libbed. <laughs> that whole thing. I believe that. <laughs> And then the last feature on this disc is called The Last Stage. It's the end of filming. It's a collection of all of the scenes they shot on the last day of filming, which was July 26, 2013. And it was, re it was released in December, right? Yeah. Okay. So they actually wrapped filming earlier. That disc was 4 hours, 36 minutes, and 12 seconds. Hey. Then we have the final <laughs> appendices. It is it. It is the final appendices. It is decided. Until I start over with one, because I started with seven. Anyway. <laughs> appendices part 12. Here at Journey's End. The first feature is called Beneath the Thunder, Forging a Battle of Five Armies. This feature chronicles the creation of Peter's final battle in Middle-earth, from designing of the armies, their military strategies, and to the groundbreaking advances in digital filmmaking he used to bring it all to life. That was an hour and 30 minutes. Whew. Then the next feature is the people and denizens of Middle-earth. It focuses on, this feature, it focuses on the design, casting, and creation of three major characters. Toriel, daughter of the forest, Thranduil, king of the wood, and Stone, and Dane Ironfoot, Lord of the Iron Hills. It's literally all of their backstories and why they were created. It is one hour, 28 minutes, and eight seconds. Then we have <laughs> Realms so of... So far, both of those have now exceeded the actual runtime of the movie. <laughs> Just saying. Just those two appendices. Yep. <laughs> Realms of the Third Age, from the city of Dale to the halls of Erebor, we watch how they built and shot Dale, Dolgador, and Erebor, an hour and 30 minutes. And then the final feature. Well, next to final feature, realistically. It's called Farewell Friends, and it is a half-hour little shot of all of the appendices, even starting with Lord of the Rings. And they literally chronicle 
the whole 15 year journey and what it meant to be part of their fellowship, the creator's fellowship as we, the audience, and they bid farewell to us as the audience of these appendices. And they bid farewell themselves to middle earth for the last time. So this was sort of their chance to sort of say, this is why we did the appendices. Like this is the reason we did the appendices. We hope you enjoyed them. Farewell. And then the very last one, I said this farewell friends should be the last one, but there's actually a five minute one called Andrew Lesney remembered. Andrew Lesney was the cinematographer for both the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. He won an Academy award for fellowship. So all of the sweeping shots, the New Zealand shots that people say, Oh yeah, that's Peter Jackson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Peter Jackson came up with the idea, but Andrew Lesney is who actually does those shots. And they are the best shots in all six films. Yes. They really are. So that's all Andrew Lesney. Well, he died of a dramatic heart attack in 2015 after the movie was released. Um, so he died very unexpectedly. And this was just a five minute sort of film saying that they missed him and it was dedicated to him and all that stuff. Uh, call me what you will. Uh, I never knew Andrew Lesney or many of these people. But when I watched the Andrew Lesney Remembered and when I watched Farewell, Farewell Friends, still, even today, because I watched them both today, I get choked up. I don't, I don't know them at all. And people could say, well, you like, it doesn't affect you. You're right. I'm not saying anything that's wrong, but I personally, as a human being can't watch those no matter how many times I have and not get choked up. So that's, that's pretty cool. All right. Were you excited to see this movie when it came out in theaters? Gentlemen of Joel. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> the keys <laughs> of his own city. <laughs> there is one of us. <laughs> um, yeah, I really was. This is. I read the book front to back. Finally, in between the second and third book, and so I used. To, I read second, it. Third movie. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. Episode three. Episode three. In between episodes two and three, I read the book. Okay. <laughs> um. And Irish, remember, like, I read it. I, I, I am Irish. It's going to be one of those, Joel. It's going great. <laughs> um, I would read it, and I would also listen to it on tape while I was, like, mowing the yard and all that stuff. And I remember listening to it in, being in the middle of mowing, and when, spoilers, when Smog dies, still having, like, a... Like the, <laughs> Like, what is this next movie even going to be about? Because, I mean, they, they set it up to where it's just going to be this giant, like, battle of, with smog. I mean, I know it's this battle of five armies, but I just remember finishing that chapter thinking, what are they going to put in this last movie? And so I was really excited to see how they put it all together. All right. I kind of was. Uh, kind of, sort of. But this was the first movie I waited until the last minute to see in theaters. I just wasn't excited about this film between the desolation of smog and reading the book again for this similar reason, which is I saw that movie and I was like, I, I know how much is left. What's how they going to do a two and a half hour movie on this. They didn't, they did a f- almost four hour movie. <laughs> <laughs> <And> a 12 <laughs> hour appendices. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I saw this the last week it was in theaters. Like I wasn't, at, I did not have the same excitement I had for, Lord of the Rings as I did for where this movie was at this point. And with that top, with the reviews that were coming in, I was just like, you know what? I'm going to JC this and just wait for it on video. 
Which is what I did. Yeah. But, <laughs> but granted, I was super excited because by this point I'd had the HBO and I'd seen Desolation of Smaug. So I really was, I'm like, oh, I want to see it. But I didn't. I waited because I wanted to see the extended editions. Aha. Uh-huh. Yep. Well, uh, we got ourselves a synopsis here. <clears throat> Synopses? <clears throat> I gave it to them. You. I took it as my 14th share. You would steal from me. Steal from you? No. No. I may be a burglar, but I like to think I'm an honest one. I'm willing to let it stand against my claim. Against your claim? Your claim? You have no claim over me, Right! I was going to give it to you. Many times I wanted to, but... But what, thief? You are changed, Thorin. The dwarf I met in Bag End would never have gone back on his word. Would never have doubted the loyalty of his kin. Do not speak to me for loyalty. Throw him from the rampart! The third Hobbit film picks up shortly after the second left off. The people of Lake Town are in a panicked frenzy as the dragon smog flies down to exact his revenge. The master of Lake Town and his deputy Alfred try to evacuate with the town's treasure while the rest of the townsfolk also try to escape. Now, I put in here, there are not too many sequels that start off right where the last one left off. I love this opening. I thought it was great. Star Wars 8 comes to mind, but most are part ones and twos. So I'm a guess, you know, I'm assuming you guys like this start. Oh, I love this Oh, start. yeah. I'm watching it right now, actually. Are you? <laughs> Joe's going to watch along again with he's, us. He's, he's going to do another Star Wars. Didn't he watch all of episode three what or was, was it, it episode one? Was it Which, Star Wars? It was Star Wars. It was Star Wars. Along. You watched the entire episode because, while we talked about it. Because the making of the podcast was longer than the movie. <laughs> Are you sure it was Star Wars? It was Star yeah. Wars. Yeah. I mean, it was Star Wars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In fact, to be more precise, I'm sure it was The Phantom Menace, the first one. I thought it was the first one, what? yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> and, and now, Alfred and the Master are trying to leave. Leave with the treasure? Where? Where? They're in the middle of a lake. I, lo- I love how they're like, get to open water. Where you're easier to spawn? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it's hard to keep just, track of logic. <laughs> just proves how stupid the Master was, which we need. We you need can't, a stupid Master. You can't set water on fire. Dragon. No, but you can set the boat they're on on fire. <laughs> we don't know how dragon fire reacts. Maybe dragon fire, because Greek fire supposedly burned on water. Yeah, that's true. And with all so the, so with, maybe dragon fire does burn on and water. And with all the feces in that water, imagine that lighting up. Yeah, that's stinky. That's true. Stinky. But doesn't Smog say head to open water, like mocking him? Yeah. No, no. <laughs> no, Smog doesn't talk to him. The master is saying, is at one point, Smog comes down as uh, Bard is shooting at him. Right. And he's mocking Bard. And so when he turns to go after Bard, the master says, hurry, this is our chance. Go to open ocean. And that's when me in my head, I'm like, really? <laughs> that's that's going to save you? I, my first thought I'd was, be an easier target. this guy? <laughs> I don't know if he was. I don't think he was elected. No. Well, while his children are leaving with Tari, Keely, Feely, Bofer, and Oin, uh, Bard the Bowman tries to break free from his cell. Smog descends and breathes fire all over the town, destroying a whole row of houses and killing many people. That opening shot where he comes down and he lets loose his first wave of fire, <sighs> I, oh, 
like I'm both terrified and in awe all at the same time. I that's love just Swan's such a attack. great. <laughs> that's such a great scene. And he doesn't say anything. Like it's just pure carnage, and he's co- totally okay with that. I wanted the smog attack to actually go even longer. Yeah, wasn't a very big town. Like three or four paces passes, and it's gone. Yeah, yeah. I just just say more destruction, if you will. Just uh, give me some drag. I'm, you had me waiting the entire second movie for some dragon demolition, Darth Ares, and now you have it. Give me more. We should call him Darth Ares. Darth Ares. Darth Ares. Because <laughs> my Xbox user game tag. Do you really want to share that? <laughs> Jedi Ares. Oh, all right. Well, there you go. Uh, Challenge him. That's <laughs> my last name backwards. A-R-R-E-S. <laughs> How about it? God of War. Okay. From atop the Lonely Mountain, Bilbo Baggins, Dwalin, Balin, Dori, Nori, Ori, Biffer, Gloin, and Bomber watch as the dragon terrorizes Lake Town. Their leader, Thorn Oakenshield, is unable to watch with them. As short as this scene is, it is amazing. Yep. It's and when it, you first realize... incredibly telling that, oh, it's already taken hold. He's already shifted. Yeah. yeah. It's a very short scene, too. I think it's no less than a minute. If that even. Yeah. On the boat. Bard's son, Bane, sees his father as he climbs the bell tower to get high enough to shoot at Smog. Bard shoots his arrows at Smog as the dragon flies by, hitting the dragon. Whoop, as the dragon <laughs> hitting the tower, I mean. But they are unable to penetrate a scaled hide, realizing that Bard needs the black arrow. And more importantly, to shoot it in the one spot you can actually get through. Yep. Bane shows up with the black arrow, which is big enough to do the job. That's what she said. <laughs> Touch it. <laughs> Smog talking to Bard and Bane is a great thing to put at the end of a movie. <laughs> and that reminds me of something we watched last week. It reminds me of that Tiny Tina video. You don't start <laughs> the game off with the boss, with the boss battle. <laughs> this piece is in the wrong film. This should be at the end of the last one. <laughs> do you really want to change the ending of that last film, though? I yes, like- I do. Because oh. I think if this ended with Smog dying, awesome. You think all's good. And then you start this film up with, oh, it's not. There's or- a battle of Bruin. Or wouldn't you guys just simply say, well, what's left to tell? Smog died. I will. Yeah. <laughs> my thought process would be, hey, the end of the movies. Two movies. Done. Ouch. <laughs> I, sorry. I just think the whole piece is in the wrong film. <laughs> how, how would Dane feel if you tried to cut him completely out of the franchise? I'm sure he'd have a quote for me that would involve my head and being split in half. Exactly. <laughs> Smog wrecks the bell tower, cracking Bard's bow. The dragon taunts Bard and his son as Bard aims the black arrow while balancing it on Bane's shoulder. Using a makeshift bow, he rigs out of the broken one. As Smog flies toward them, Bard shoots the arrow. Uh, it strikes the dragon, hitting the weak spot in his armor. He screams in pain as the light leaves his body. Smog plummets into the lake, where his body crushes the master and the gold supply. If he fires that arrow, that's going to decapitate his son. Yeah. <laughs> no, you know, physics. I don't... <laughs> Talking dragons. Let's, I was going to say, let's so, give a little so wiggle here's the room. thing. People get very nitpicky with this scene and everything, and I'm like, here's the thing. Bard needs to do something legendary. This is a pretty legendary scene. It is pretty awesome. Oh, yes. Now, actually, your decapitation thing isn't something I heard. I don't know, because a bowstring is supposed to stop right away. I don't think the bowstring... It doesn't. It continues forth because of physics. It it, it vibrates up back and forth. If you pull a thing back, it is going to pull forward. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know. I think that every single time. Not with the bow, though. But with the feathers or whatever on the end, that that would have burned his son alive, just like across <laughs> his neck. That's my. Now that I know that uh, homie's not CGI, which yeah. my mind is blown today. <laughs> um, 
Listen. <laughs> That's a valid thing to think. I, some, he some stands of, out a lot. Hold Machine on, works. some of the, some of the dwarves are actually CGI'd. I just didn't want you to think his character was CGI'd no, the whole no, time. No, I'm really glad because yeah. no, my roommate and I talk about it all the time. Even his sister and his mom came in town to visit, and his sister brought it up. She said, "I love the whole movie, but I don't understand why the dwarf was CGI." And I said, "I don't get it either, Wes." And I talk about it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and then I sit down here, and you're like, "No, it's just they went so digital with this whole trilogy." Mm. It even made things that were real Look, seem like they weren't. Yes. But again, that's what they talked about when they before they released all of these, which is why a lot of people were a little nervous to go see them in general. When they had to cut back, we said early in one of the earlier They could have just right? been lieutenants if they were about being generals. Fair enough. <laughs> and then and, and then you have uh uh the came landing on the greedy guy, uh the master. Oh come on, we needed that. No, I know that one of the main themes of the Hobbit is greed. Yeah. Oh, and you have the, the greedy monster falling on the greedy master. Poetic justice. How about that? But then followed by the one of the well, best <laughs> heels <laughs> in science fiction movies. Yes. Maybe the best WWE heel of science fiction movies. We're talking about Alfred? Our friend Alfred. Okay, we'll get to him. <laughs> the dwarves see that Smog is dead and they rejoice. Yay! Yeah. Again, though from the shot, still way too far from Erebor. <laughs> Just like, like, why do they keep walking further away? Just stay in the area. <laughs> the, the dragon's gone. <laughs> but they wanted a better. They wanted to see it. Uh, in Dol Guldur, Gandalf is still caged after learning that the necromancer was Sauron, and he hears Galadriel's voice. JC, what about it? why is this here? To set up Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Who edited this film? Oh, what's his name? I can see his picture. I can see his face, but I can't. I can't remember because his I name. feel like this scene. It's nice to see that Gandalf is still there. I think you needed to establish that Gandalf is still here. Yeah. He's still in the world. But in about 10 minutes, you're going to go see him again in the same cage. So is it just to announce that Galadriel's on her way? Yes. It's, it's to let you know. It's sort of like the moth scene in Lord of the Rings when he's on top of Warthank. Fair enough. Do you really need the scene where he talks to the moth? No. No, but it lets you know how help comes. Yeah. This scene lets you know, okay, this is how they know to came here, come here. That mental link that we talked about before, she used it to realize, oh, you're in trouble and you're dying. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, the surviving people of Lake Town gather the supplies they have left. Keely and the other dwarves leave from the mountain to rejoin the rest of the company. Keely asks Toriel to join them. Legolas stops her, telling Toriel to say goodbye to Keely. Keely hands her the carved stone that he showed her when they first met. Did they de-age Legolas in this? Yes. Okay. Drastically. Like, they made him look a whole lot younger than they did in the second one. I was going to say, I was yes. like, that doesn't even look like him anymore. No. Nope, like, there were shots where I don't think it was done as well, but nope. most he, of, he does he look, look younger. He looked good, but he looked significantly younger than we'd just seen him when he was fighting Bolg. You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of Carrie Fisher at the end of Rogue One, where it looked uh, like Carrie Fisher, but it just wasn't quite just there. Just wasn't quite right. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Alfred. Your boy, my man, tries to swipe supplies, Gosh, but she's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I love him. <laughs> Bard stops him. The people recognize Bard as their savior for killing Smog, and then he instantly grabs his hand and shoves it up in the air. <laughs> they grab Alfred and try to punish him, but Bard stops them. He decides they will take refuge in the town of Dale. If people watch the Hobbit movies first, will they think Wormtongue is a copy of Alfred? Yes, mm-hmm. that bothers me. <laughs> I'm okay with it. Wormtongue's a better Alfred. Yeah, but Alfred was first. <laughs> no, he was not. <laughs> Chronologically, yes. Bard says he's no leader, and then he leads. 
well, he doesn't want to be a leader, and he does say that he isn't a leader, but nobody else is doing anything, so yes, he leads, but there's plenty of times where I say to my students, listen to what I'm saying. I'm not going to call myself a leader. <laughs> <laughs> you're, an, you're a teacher. You're a leader. I'm a, I'm a teacher. You're a leader. Let's go back when people say, oh, you're such a great teacher, and you're like, oh, I'm a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still going to do my job. I don't know if I agree with you, but I'm going to I get paid you. to lead <laughs> children. <laughs> I speak and they follow me. It's not like they have a choice. <laughs> if not, it's a referral. <laughs> uh, in the Lonely Mountain, the dwarves return to Bilbo, who tells them that Thorin has started to lose his mind after being corrupted by the hoarded gold in the mountain. He is also becoming madly obsessed in his search for the Arkenstone. It turns out that Bilbo had it all along, but heeded Smog's warning that the stone would drive Thorin mad. Well, I also love that he has to ask Balin first. He literally says to Balin, if, I w- if, if this was to be found, if the Arkenstone was found and we gave it back to Thorin, would this make him better? And Balin is just like tears in his eyes and is like, no, I honestly think it would make it worse. And in that moment, Bilbo confirms or Balin confirms what Smaug had told Bilbo. And that is when Bilbo is like, yeah, I can't give it to you, pal. And that's interesting that you say that because that scene is 15 minutes away. Oh, whoops. My bad. This is what fills between that scene right now. Oh, sorry. First of all, he's been down there for days. How long was the walk from Lake Town to Erebor? It's a long walk. I guess it was a boat ride, too, because it was in the lake. It was, it was yeah. in the lake, right? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. And remember, Keely's hurt, or uh, Feely's hurt. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So he's. <laughs> if Thorne was a prick before, now he's an even bigger one. There you go. Yeah. You would think with how great these dwarves are at engineering and building, they would have built a better way to keep track of all that treasure. They treat gold like peanut shells in restaurants where you can just throw them on the floor. Okay. Uh, if you wear the ring and you pick up something that is visible, does it become invisible? Yes. Okay, because Bilbo picks up the Arkenstone while wearing the ring. I was going to ask, how does Smog not see that he has the Arkenstone, or does Smog not care about the Arkenstone at that point? I think it becomes invisible because he also has Sting out whenever he's invisible and the spiders can't see Sting. Okay. Right. And I was clothes. wondering about this. So whatever you touch, if you're invisible, becomes invisible also. Touch it. Yep. Okay, the orcs and their leader... This is the next part. The orcs and their leader, Azog, are marching toward Erebor when Bolg arrives to inform Azog that the elf army is approaching closely. Azog orders Bolg to go to Gundabad, an orc stronghold, to rally a greater army of orcs to join them. It's exposition, just so you know. It's letting you know what's happening and what's going on. And when it comes to mass armies, they are animated very well. Yes. Mm -hmm. Peter Jackson knows mass armies. wonder if he's Catholic. (laughs) Was that a mass joke? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. Raise Lutheran. (laughs) Legolas and Toriel learn that Bolg is going to Gundabad. They decide to follow him after learning from a messenger that Toriel has been banished from the elf kingdom by Thranduil. Legolas, she's just not into you. Nope. (laughs) I want to shake him in this movie like, dude, doesn't want you. Sorry, it's not the locks. It, it's your attitude. <laughs> it's it's your digital face. It's your digital face. <laughs> Meanwhile, a giant orc threatens Gandalf until Galadriel arrives and vanquishes it with the spell that's like a nuclear slap. <laughs> there is so much going on in this scene. But again, this is separating the Balin scene. So then the Nazgul, nine ghost-like men who fell victim to Sauron, show up to attack. But Elrond and Saruman come in to fight them. The two of them defeat the Nazgul as Galadriel tends to Gandalf. Go. This is a hugely important scene. Does, because I forgot to do it, and I realized I forgot to do it once I got here before with Desolation Smog I did. This is an extended scene. This was a new scene and all that, and I forgot to do that. In the, the theatrical edition, do they see 
why they captured Gandalf in the first place. Is there a scene that tells you why? That, oh, oh, that's so important. So, the reason Gandalf has been attacked and sought out this whole time is he has Narya. Narya is one of the three elven rings. Gandalf has it the entire time he's on Middle-earth. Did you know that? No! What? So, Narya was originally made by a person named Celebrimbor. All right. It wasn't created by Sauron. All right. It was created by Celebrimbor, and I hope I'm saying that name right. I may not be. He made it in the Second Age along with Nenya and Vilya. So he is the person that made the three rings of power for the elves. All right. This ring originally went to a boatman called Sirden. Sorry, it didn't. First off, Salembrimbor made the ring. Then it went to Gilgalad. Gilgalad dies whenever they kill Sauron. The ring then goes to Sirden, who was a ship's uh, a shipman. Sirden gave it to Gandalf whenever Gandalf came down from the heavens as a wizard. Like so, wizards were sort of selected to come down. And here is why: the reason it was given to Gandalf is because Narya is described as having the power to inspire others against tyranny. It resists tyranny, it resists domination, and it resists despair. Because of all of the work Gandalf had to do in the Third Age, Sirden knew that he wouldn't be able to do it without Narya. And so Gandalf actually has that ring of power the whole time. So the reason why Gandalf is always sort of like hopeful and like full of all of this is because he's had the ring the whole time. Well, and it turns out this scene is on right now on my computer. And it, when he's a threatened by the giant orc he's holding down his hand and the ring is on his hand and it's followed by her talking about each of the rings but it's not specified to that's why they took him but it is implied here yeah and so gandalf is sought out throughout all of these because sauron wants the ring because he still can't find the one ring he knows Galadriel has the other one, and he knows Elrond has the other one. The reason why... Now, this is a theory, because Tolkien never told us, so this is a theory. Theory. The reason why Galadriel, Gandalf, and Elrond have always been able to kind of, like, read and talk to each other is because of the rings. It's their rings talking to each other. I can kind of understand why that explanation's not in this movie. No, I, I totally get it, but with all of that... So he's about to have his finger cut off. How does Galadriel know to come see him? Because of the ring and all of this stuff. Why does he need to be saved? Because there's so much more he has to do. And it's why there's always dirty looks between Sauron and Gandalf. Gandalf very or Sauron very early on learns that Gandalf has a ring of power and is apparently somewhat jealous, considering he was seen as Sauron the White, and yet it went to this other, the elves gave it to this other wizard and not him. Jeez, imagine we went to the brown guy. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, that's ring. That is certainly a lot. It is, and I know, but that. I'm just saying, like, when you have all of that background, which I know you don't necessarily need, but I like the background stuff. I, I, it yeah. it tells you why a why he was about to cut off his finger, which is that scene even in there where the the giant orc tries to cut off his finger. If it was, I didn't it even is. notice that. That's what it was trying to. Is do. it in the theatrical though? I know it's an yeah, art. Yeah, because this isn't the extended version. If it was, oh. if it was, I didn't notice that. That's what it was trying to do. Yeah, he's trying to cut off. And I'm wondering then if it's in the extended edition where they actually talk about it. My assumption though was that they'd got they captured Gandalf because he was there. Because there's a whole in in the in the version you're watching now with the theatrical, is the orc talking to Gandalf? 
Um, hmm. I don't remember an orc talking to him. Yeah, so there is a whole conversation as the orc is beating Gandalf. He's beating him down, saying, "We know you have it. We know." Oh, that's not in. There, yeah, no. that's all in the extended edition. And he finally slams it down, and he's like, "We'll take it from you one way or another." That's all about the ring. He said he's even flat out says the master wants your ring and things like that. I can totally understand why that's not in there then, because they don't want that confusing which wing is which that Sauron wants. Which wing? Which wing with wing? Which wing, wing, wing? Tell me more about that wabbit. Yeah. <laughs> no, I get that it can be incredibly confusing, but I also think once people know it behind it, it actually makes you understand Gandalf's motivations a whole lot more. Yeah. When you realize he sort of has this underwhelming desire to protect mankind. Wizard fight. Cool scene. Oh, very cool scene. The, yes. And let me just say, Sauron's a badass. Sauron is a badass. <laughs> He's Too so bad he goes heel. And apparently, spoilers. Chris, yeah, apparently Christopher Lee gets asked or get, got asked because he's passed away. Um, did you do it? And he looked. He would. He said he would always look at people and be like, "Do I look like I could do that? <laughs> <laughs> if I couldn't do the stunts eight years ago in Star Wars." <laughs> <laughs> he, he said he would look at me. I'm like, I'm 93 years old. Ninety three, wasn't he? Well, well, yeah, when he did the interview, right. I don't, okay. I don't know how old he was. I'll have to look up. I don't know how old he was. When he I died. personally would have liked this scene as a featurette before Lord of the Rings. Oh, I, I'm not saying get rid of it. Yeah, I'm saying as a featurette, much like Covenant had featurettes. Yeah, featurettes that help explain certain things for Lord of the Rings. My personal feeling is that Peter Jackson either A, didn't trust that The Hobbit could be three films on its own, B, didn't trust The Hobbit could do well without The Lord of the Rings, C, wanted to make a movie that is 65% Hobbit and 35% Lord of the Rings, or D, didn't think the dwarf story could sustain audiences' attention. And why that's why you have these in here. Why can't it be all of them? I, it, it, because if it's all of them, it makes it, makes it seem as though Peter Jackson... I think Peter Jackson at one point, and this is never said, this is me sort of thinking, you know, I think Peter Jackson at one point made the conscious decision when he started shooting The Hobbit, once it was decided to be three movies, he wanted this to be the end of Middle Earth. He didn't want somebody coming back and doing the Silmarillion. He didn't want somebody because nothing else is as finalized. The only things that are sort of complete where we really know what they're talking about is The Hobbit, is Lord of the Rings. Silmarillion and all of that other stuff, it's like... He says one thing in this book, but then in an unfinished letter, he contradicts himself here and all of this. So I think what he wanted to do was he wanted to take everything he could from those external sources, tie it together into one overarching story, and then figure that he closed the door on it. Like, this is it. This is done. This has been covered. We don't now have to go back and, like, figure out how did the NR get created and, mm -hmm. and Villanar and all of that stuff and, and really confuse people. You just now understand that this is leading you from one to the next. And yes, yeah. it's all filler and all that, but I think that's why I agree with that whole list you just gave. No, I, I, I think he I think he tried to do all of it so that people wouldn't mess with Middle Earth later. That's me, that's my opinion. I don't have any proof for that. Okay. That's just what I'm thinking. Um well you are the and authority on these. And, so. and Christopher that's Lee a good point though. Christopher Lee died at ninety three. I actually looked at the date. He died. Maybe a couple weeks after he finished his interview for the appendices. How wow. how creepy is that? Well, like when you're watching the appendices, like he'll be dead in a couple weeks. Mm -hmm. Like that's just weird to me. Wow. Okay. Uh, Radagast. Oh, <laughs> 
Debbie Downer. Let's get to this guy. <laughs> the opposite of Saruman. <laughs> yeah. Radagast the Brown wow. comes back in his rabbit-drawn sleigh to take Gandalf away. No, he takes back a dummy, Gandalf. <laughs> <laughs> Because nobody could lift Sir Ian. Yes. Gandalf's not allowed to work with other people. (laughs) (laughs) The image of Sauron appears and tries to tempt Galadriel, but she overpowers him and casts him out. She falls in a weakened state. Elrond suggests that they warn everyone of Sauron, but Saruman tells them to help Galadriel and says they can leave Sauron to him. Why not just make a prequel movie to The Lord of the Rings at this point? Well, now with the success of Wonder Woman, maybe we will get a Galadriel uh, standalone film. (laughs) I'd watch that. I would too, actually. Yeah, so, not bad, not bad. what was that not badass though? Watching her just go like, oh. full medieval and and banish him. That was that CGI. <laughs> uh, so, so they they shoot her creepily, but then like the the like the green textures and stuff. That's all CGI. Oh, I like, knew it. Yeah. <laughs> they put two flashlights: a green light and a blue light. Yeah. Just I knew she was green. <laughs> well, actually, that's literally how they. That is actually a scene where in the in the appendices you watch Kate Blanchett act that entire scene with no sound effects. Mm-hmm. And being completely honest, the first time I watched it, I kind of wanted to laugh. I want to be like that. Just but then when you realize like this is how actors have to work, they have to act like this because everything else is going to be brought in later. And when you take that into account, you watch it, you're like, oh damn, she's <laughs> she's good. Yeah. Like just how she, so that's that's an instance where yes it's CGI'd but she did a legit acting job to get there yeah and and I want to clear something up for anybody that's listening out there that's thinking I'm shitting on these movies I'm not I think that the Lord of the Rings stuff is amazingly shot it tells great pieces they are not pieces that you sit there going oh they just added this in there was a lot of care put into those pieces what I'm saying is that if you take all those pieces and just remove them and put them over here into a separate movie you have a prequel for Lord of the Rings which actually works very well. And I think you're right. He pro- I like your theory about how he didn't want anybody else building off this world, so he tried to put it all in here. Yeah. I, and I, I hate, I've said the word a couple of times, and I don't mean it in a negative way. It's bloated because you're trying to put too much in, I think. Yeah, he, he wanted to fit everything in so nobody would mess with Middle But they're not bad things. It's no, just, they're not. But now we're at Balin. It takes all that before we get to Balin talking to him. Balin tries to reason with Thorin about not being able to find the Arkenstone. Thorin suggests that if anyone has it, they will be dealt with. And he says it in a very threatening way. <laughs> Bilbo goes to Balin and asks about the Arkenstone without admitting he has it. And Balin says possessing the stone might make Thorin even more irrational. Yeah, power. That whole scene, Martin Freeman doesn't say a whole lot, but his eyes do incredible acting. And Ken Stott, Ken Stott did great in this film. Now, is, are we to believe that Bilbo is also corrupted right now and he doesn't want to give up the Arkenstone? No. Okay, because he needs it to barter with later. And he has no problem getting rid of it. But he didn't know at that point he was going to barter later, right? No, I don't think he did, but okay. I think he knew he was never going to give it to us. I think by that point he had decided that he would keep it as his 14th share. Gotcha. I do think that. I think he had made the decision, this is my 14th share, I'm just going to take this. Um, and my, my first thought when I saw this was, like, then just destroy the damn thing. Just, I don't know. Break it in half. <laughs> yeah, because a hobbit can do that. Look, there's rocks everywhere. Throw it on the ground. It's going to shatter, right? I know. I know. Simple <laughs> Joe. Okay. <laughs> there's, no, there's no physics in hobbit land. Oh, that's very clear. <laughs> we'll talk about uh, the, like the, no the carriage cry. ride later with Bard. It's like there's no crying in baseball. There's no <laughs> physics in Middle Earth. <laughs> <laughs> Now we get to Bard. Bard and his people arrive in the decimated Dale, and Alfred warns that the dwarves have taken the mountain, but can't be trusted with the gold. 
Yeah, he, he's talking about who can't be trusted with gold. <laughs> I wrote it in what I really liked later, but I, I wanted to sort of sort of preface it here. I'm like, how creepy is it that I love this scene? Like, I think in my head all the time, like, how cool would it be to, like, hear about a place your entire life, hear about its destruction, hear about how much it's been ruined, and then be able to, like, go and, like, see the place you've heard of. And, like, mm-hmm. no, like, I'm going to live here, like... Oh, this is where that happened, and this is what where so and so defended, and like it's also creepy because like, dude, it's where a whole ton of people died. I'm like, <laughs> so this is where like I think historians are like weird and creepy in a way. Like we really, really like digging into people's pasts, but then we don't want people to judge us too harshly for it because when they do, they just realize you're sickos. <laughs> <laughs> like we just like to like poke around and be like, that's really cool because it's really old and I already heard about it. <laughs> Thorne and his company begin to barricade the entrance to Erebor, claiming they owe Lake Town anything, reneging on his promise. Uh-oh. Another cool scene. It shows how strong the dwarves are. Did you see that it was mm-hmm. actual dwarves just picking up these boulders? And yeah. like, it was like nothing. Thorne is the Thranduil of this film. Dick. Of course, we'll get to Thranduil in a second. I just read that because that's what I thought at the time. Yeah. Then we get to the next scene. <laughs> yeah. Thranduil arrives in Dale with his army close by with his moose. Hey, there you go, Moose. Moose dog. He spe- was replaced by a dummy. <laughs> Just like Gandalf. He's speaking. Yeah. <laughs> Gandalf like a horse. Oh, Sir Ian, I'm sorry. He speaks to Bard. Let's get back to this. Gandalf can't be. Ian McKellen cannot be any more than 150 pounds. Just saying. Kate Blanchett <laughs> picked up a dummy. <laughs> okay, anyway. He speaks to Bard. McKellen's pretty tall, isn't he? Well, he's, yeah, but he's real thin. Oh, no, those, those tall guys. You know what it is? The robes give him more, like, oh, that space. I've, yeah, I've never seen him in his uh, track warm-up. <laughs> <laughs> haven't, haven't seen him in his, t- in his tight T-shirts? I haven't, no. It's <laughs> a shame. <laughs> I think I've said this before. My dream is to enter a bar in London at some point and just see Patrick Stewart and Eamon Kellen having a, a pint and just go, come over here and join us. Okay. <laughs> Let me change my underwear first. Yeah. <laughs> he speaks to Bard about forming an alliance as Thranduil wants to get into the Lonely Mountain to reclaim some white gems denied to him by the dwarves many years before, including a necklace made of them. And I think it was in the first movie you said that that scene was cut out. Yeah. I think that's because they were saying it here, and so you didn't need it there because yeah. you were going to say it here. Sad thing that I forgot to say in the first movie, though, it shouldn't have been white gems. It should have been emeralds. Thranduil lost a necklace of emeralds. Oh, because the necklace is all white, ne- yeah. like beautiful, yeah. starry stuff. Yeah. Well, the the digital makeup did change a lot of appearances. <laughs> <laughs> However, to go we back, see his feet. They were green. <laughs> uh, Sir Ian McKellen weighs uh, 69 <laughs> kilograms. Nice. Uh, What's what that, that, what what that in pounds? In pounds. It is 152 pounds. Oh, that was close. <laughs> so... There's that. <laughs> Joe's got a gift. <laughs> Send me to the circus. Uh, Elvish armies look awesome every time they're on oh, the screen. Gosh. Uh, <laughs> when they come and they have all the food, the first thing I thought was, I don't like green food. <laughs> I didn't think Do of that. Do they have any chips? <laughs> uh, uh, I'm like, aha, Thranduil is still a dick. Got it. <laughs> we didn't come for you. I mean, we packed up a big... <laughs> wagon and we took the time to organize it and make it look pretty but we didn't come for you yeah honestly it's probably not that hard for them though they seem like the most hospitable group in the world minus their leader and <laughs> i was gonna say hospitality yeah you won't answer my question so all of you go to jail aside from him 
I mean, that, that those type A personalities, they always have everything just sitting in the back. They probably had just like baskets of food in a garage that has a button. They're like, oh, release these. Yes. Send these to Shire. Yeah, they're probably like, <laughs> they probably have a Middle Earth food pantry anyways, and it just happened to be that zone's time. Everyone wants to claim the riches of Erebor. I guess we know what one of the guffins of the movies is now. Uh, the food pantry. There it is. That's what everybody's striving for. So that's why he has a Scottish accent. That makes but, sense. Yes. It's MacGuffin. <laughs> uh, Bard rides MacGuffin. over. Oh, I thought maybe it was the MacGuffin. digital digital Dane was the MacGuffin. <laughs> Bard. <laughs> Bard rides over to the Lonely Mountain's main gate, hoping to persuade Thorin to join forces with him to avoid any more bloodshed. Thorin refuses to listen or to give away any part of his treasure, despite his promises when the people of Lake Town helped the dwarves. Bard leaves angrily. Thorin totally reneged on the deal. What a dick. Yeah, I was going to say, this is this is a great scene because it literally just says, like, this is how much greed has changed him in that he can't even come up with a good excuse. He's just flat out saying, yeah, I don't care. Yeah, n- and nobody's word means a damn thing in Middle Earth. I figured that out also. <laughs> uh, the only one that you can really rely on is Bilbo. His word means something. Yep. Except for he and which is even worse because Which is even worse because... He was like, I will vouch for him. Mm-hmm. Now, you're right. He does lie to Thorin. Or does he just, to. or just does he not tell him? A lie of omission? A lie of omission? For the greater good. That's Gandalf's game. I'm just saying. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying, but I'm just saying. Bilbo was the only one who speaks out against Thorin's decision, even though everyone else in the party seems unhappy with the decision. It's true. I, this is they're not going to speak against their king though at least not in a public forum like look at Dwal I know I'm getting ahead but Dwalin is like literally restating the stupid orders that Thorin is giving but it finally takes him in a private moment where I'll be like you're a dick yeah and that's something that I have a problem with going through this later on is that the dwarves and their demeanor when it comes to Thorin and their allegiance to him their loyalty to him uh, the dwarves suit up in their armor to prepare for battle and then if you watch closely in the background you can see him monkeying around uh, Thorin gives Bilbo a shirt of mithril mail that he says is so strong that no blade can pierce it. As they speak, Thorin continues to sound distorted and dazed as he vows not to share the treasure. Dun, dun, dun. Is there only one thing of mithril mail? Only one shirt of it? Oh, I don't know if there's only one shirt, but mithril is really expensive, so it may be that there was more. I don't know. Well, they got plenty like, of gold. Like, here, here's a huge MacGuffin. Why didn't Thorin put on a Well, that's why I put it. So why isn't anyone else wearing this if it's not a battle? I don't know. But Maybe it just doesn't fit. Let's yep. Google it. Oh, He's really Maybe small. it doesn't fit. It is pretty tight on Bilbo. Maybe they give it to their children to keep them safe while they're training. <laughs> <laughs> they're all big. They said, here, Hobbit, take this. I want to see a little Gimli wearing Mithril now. That'd be great. <laughs> oh, and then if I put down, now Thorin is reasonable. Oh, wait. Thorin's freaking crazy again. Because he starts off, okay, take this Mithril male. And you're like, oh, he's a good guy again. Nope, nope, still a dick. All right. Mithril is extremely rare. It's only found in Khazad-dûm, so it wasn't even found at Erebor. Mm-hmm. So it must have been a gift to them. And so the reason why there's only one is because it, it had been a gift to Thror earlier. Okay. So maybe that's why there's only one is because it's just that rare. Uh, I'm not rooting on the dwarves here. No. I'm not rooting on the elves. I guess I'm rooting on man. Yet we see the least of them in the story. So who am I rooting for? MacGuffins. The dragon. Crap, no. (laughs) Rooting for gold. (laughs) MacGuffins. Resolution? It wasn't until that point where I was like, wait, whose side am I supposed to be on in this? Because I can't get on the dwarf side. I can't get on the elf side. Picture perfect Billy Connolly. 
That's who I'm rooting on. That's who you're rooting Dane. for. <laughs> Picture perfect Iron Fist. I don't know. Maybe that's what makes it a good movie is you don't know who to cheer for. Dun, dun, dun. Or it makes a movie that you have no reason to buy into. Oh, horse hockey. <laughs> there are it's plenty of hockey. movies. Moose hockey, my friend. Dog hockey. I don't know. <laughs> We've talked about stuff. It's like, ah, I just our emotions are pulled this way, this way. That's what makes it great. This is good. This is a good movie. <laughs> I I, okay. I also really like this movie. Uh, hey, as much as I've been saying like this is wrong, this is wrong, I still love this movie. Gandalf arrives in Dale to warn Bard and Thranduil of the orc armies coming their way. He covers ground fast. Do wizard? Well, again, we talked about this in the second movie. Can he just make caves out of nowhere and they just go to portals? No, that's what you said. I know I said that. I said we discussed oh. it. Oh, because that would make sense then. No, but there's also Shadow Facts. And clearly in Lord of the Rings, when he learns about Shadow Facts, who is the fastest horse on the entire planet, he has all see Shadow Facts in this. I know we don't, but let me finish my point. <laughs> clearly, when you first meet him in the books in Lord of the Rings, when you first meet him in the movie, they already have a relationship. So maybe Shadow Facts is the reason why he gets around so fast. Okay. So shows up, drops him off, and leaves. Yeah, of course. I mean, you can't have too much help. I mean, we got to... Have the eagles do something. <laughs> yeah, they can't, they can't just have a tequila sunrise. Um, no. Let's see. Uh, Legolas, Legolas and Tauriel get to Gundabad and discover Bolg summoning <gasps> the rest of the orc forces along with a horde of giant bat creatures. Uh, this is a scene that has one purpose. To, to show up. you the orc army. Yep. And But you'll see it later anyway. Yep. So is the scene needed? No. Okay. But it does show that Legolas is connecting the dots. And maybe by seeing Legolas connect the dots, they are going to set him up better. But to be honest, between this scene and the scene later with his dad at the end of all of the fighting, I'm like, Legolas seems pretty clueless at the Council of Elrond and Fellowship of the Ring. <laughs> he does, doesn't he? And so if he's so <laughs> clueless, what? They're making him seem like you should have known what was going on, and you're going to go up and spend time with the Dunedain, and then you act like an idiot at Elrond? Well, what you didn't see, there's a scene that's actually deleted out of this film at the very end, where him and R2-D2 are walking down a hallway, and Bail Organa says, make sure you wipe the protocol droid's memory. Oh, well, that makes perfect. That so, works. there you go. It's those golden locks. Of which <laughs> <I recall. laughs> uh, Bilbo Stupid sneak- episode three. <laughs> This is episode three. <laughs> yeah, we, you know, that was the best. That now? was the best of the prequels, though. <laughs> I thought so. So this is the best of the prequels. Which episode three are we talking about? Not a prequel. It's <laughs> not a prequel. Okay. Uh, Bilbo sneaks out of the mountain at night to a tent where Gandalf, Bard, and Thranduil are talking. Can I just say that I love the scene with him and Beaufort just before he leaves? I love Bilbo and Beaufort scenes. Which one's Beaufort? Jimmy Nesbitt. Yeah, that doesn't help. Yeah. It's the guy with the curly mustache. The guy that has the kids. Okay, okay, okay. And he's always the one that's like, I wish you all the luck in the world and everything. And like, he flat out says, he knows what Bill, he knows that Bilbo wants to leave. He thinks Bilbo wants to leave because of the fight coming and he wants to stay alive. And he's like, Bombor's next. It takes me a while to wake up Bombor, just so you know. <laughs> and like, he's just. Well, like, he didn't miss the entire boat ride back from Lake it's Town. Just, it's just so cool. And then, like, so Biffer is clearly trying to like give Bilbo an avenue to get out, which he needs. But then when Bilbo comes back, he's like, I'll see you in the morning. And Biffer's like, he smiles. Biffer or Bopper? Biffer. Okay. No, I'm oh, sorry. It is Bofer. Biffer is the one with the accent in his head. <laughs> I apologize, people listening at home. Bofer. 
And so he, so Bilbo says to Bofor, no, I'll see you in the morning. And Bofor, like, smiles at him saying, yeah, no, I won't. But then he does. Like, Bilbo does keep his word. Whatever Bilbo says, he will do. The only word in Middle Earth that matters is Bilbo's. <laughs> and Gandalf's. Well, we'll get to that in a second here. Bilbo gives them the Arkenstone, claiming it is his share of Thorin's treasure. Thranduil tells Gandalf that he will finish this fight to protect his people. Have these races figured out that when Gandalf shows up, you might want to listen to the man. No, because we haven't, like, he hasn't been right too often yet. I've never seen a movie more dismissive of the smartest man in the room. Uh, people listen to Bilbo. I will say this. <laughs> Bilbo's, Bilbo's delivery of the line. Yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> I laughed out loud. Yeah. <laughs> Are <laughs> you like they mean the one that stole our keys and let everyone free? Yeah, yeah. sorry about that. <laughs> that was so awesome. Actually, it's yes, she says. Uh, Bilbo taking the Arkenstone as 14th of the treasure is a smart move. And Martin Freeman saves this movie as the humanity that is missing in this film so far. So maybe humans are actually hobbits. If gold is so evil, why do they still use it? Well, what else are you going to use? I don't know, rocks. Buy <laughs> yeah. those. Ooh, IOUs. <laughs> It's as good as money, sir. It's as as money, right? <laughs> a little Dumb and Dumber there. Can't wait to watch Dumb and Dumber with JC. <laughs> Never going to happen. He's, he's going to love it. Never going to happen. Do you realize what you've done? <laughs> okay, the next day, the Elvish and Lake Town armies stand before Erebor. Thorin and the dwarves come out on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> I suddenly pictured a bunch of dwarves like hanging on coat hangers. Just <laughs> 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 hanging there like we're here. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, why are the dwarves cheering on Thorin's obstinacy? Because they're dwarves. This is that moment. But they, all, but they all know he's doing the wrong thing. Because they still hate elves. I think it's one of those okay. things where like, the hatred of elves is that great unifying factor. Okay. It's yeah. like when you have that, that family fight where like you're fighting with each other, like you and your brother or somebody are fighting, but that somebody else starts picking on your brother, and you're like, yeah. suddenly both you and your brother go after the person that was picking on you, are like, we can, but no, uh-uh. And like it's that collective, like, we will F you up, man. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say the exact same thing. Like, even when you're, like, your immediate family might be arguing with your extended family, and you know, like, they're wrong, <laughs> but it's, this is my family got to stick by them that's not personal my parents are great <laughs> but here's the right. thing they're obstinate to bard saying that you you oh you promised us that's man not elves no they don't say anything to bard they only react whenever thronduil talks no because bard is the one that says you guys uh reneged on your deal and thorin says something back to him like we, we you we don't owe you anything and the dwarves all cheer and that pissed me off because they're the loyal ones I'd have to rewatch. Yeah, I didn't expect the other thir- twelve to renege on the deal, also, and that yeah, was that, my problem. With that it. that may be a valid point. I, I I'd have to look back. I always that that may be a valid point. Yeah. That piece I would expect in the original Hobbit, the true adaptation of the book, because you didn't get to know the dwarves as well yeah. as you did in here. Here you get to know them. They're they're loyal. They're hot, kind. They're they're generous, as Bilbo says in all of them. But that moment, it's like, or are they terrified to go against Thorin? Do they cheer him on because they're terrified of Thorin? I don't know. I don't know. If any of the dwarves are listening, we'd love to have you come by and sit down with us. Bard displays the Arkenstone to offer and trade for the gold. Thorin thinks it's a trick until Bilbo admits that he gave it to them. Mm. Such a great scene and a great moment. Feeling betrayed, Thorin orders the dwarves to throw Bilbo over the side of the wall they'd constructed to replace the wrecked gate. 
they refuse. Nobody moves. That's the moment where they turn. Yep. And Thorin nearly does it himself. And I thought he was going to. Uh, Gandalf arrives to stop him. Yay, Gandalf. Yay. Showed up at the right time again. <laughs> MacGuffin. Allowing... Not a MacGuffin. <laughs> Deus Ex Gandalf. MacGyver. Yeah. <laughs> Allowing Bilbo to escape and join his wizard friend. Bard asks Thorne if he will have peace or war, and Thorne growls, I will have war. That was nice, Darth Ares. Oh, thanks. Then an army of dwarves, led by Thorne's cousin, Dane Ironfoot, arrives to help Thorin and his company. Can Not. I have a wee moment of your time? <laughs> they are on the What break. are you all doing on this fine morning? <laughs> Could no, you I, just I can't do Scottish. Off. <laughs> I, I can do an Irish, but I can't do Scottish accents. <laughs> they are on the verge of attacking the elf army when the orc army arrives. The armies of dwarves, elves, and humans join together to fight the villains, and the Battle of the Five Armies begins. J.C. is... Snapping pennies at Joel here. They hit my belt. We're good. Uh, Gandalf arrives at the perfect time again. Who the hell are these dwarves? They're of the Iron Hills. We talked about but, them in the first but movie. How, how did word get to them? Crows. He sent. He sent birds. Don't. Uh, Dane, Thorin's cousin. Dane is a Scottish badass on a warthog. He's awesome. And, and he's this is straight out of Braveheart. CGI. Straight out of Braveheart. This is a total rip off of Braveheart. But it's better. It's what? not. It is better. Having having a whole bunch of Irishmen or Scottish people <laughs> rip up their kilts and moon the other guys, that's the that's where you go. Well, the Hobbit did come out before Braveheart. <laughs> no, it didn't. 1960s. 1960s. Oh. <laughs> no Gibson was just being born. <laughs> okay, well, if that's the case, that speech is nowhere in the book. <laughs> Well, you know, some things things get lost. <laughs> lost in translation. The Scottish are really hard to understand. Uh, that being said, <laughs> Dane has more personality than half the dwarfs we've seen in for two movies. Oh, he's awesome. Faithless woodland sprite. <laughs> I get a feeling this is a racist term. I feel, like, I feel like you wanted to say feckless. I feel like you wanted to say feckless woodland sprite. Is this supposed to be a racist term in Middle Earth? Well, no, a sprite. No, because that makes me uncomfortable, and I was laughing at it, and I was enjoying it, and now you throw race into it, and I'm like, oh, crap, I'm not supposed to laugh, and now I don't know what I'm supposed to think, so let's move on. Okay, so <laughs> so worms show up. What the hell? Is this Tremors now? We're worms. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the I do. Okay. Hey, are we doing Tremors soon? I want to. Okay. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> we just watched the prequel. Uh, the five armies are man, dwarves, Elves, orcs, and eagles. Eagle. The fifth army is supposedly the orc goblins from Gundabad. Oh uh, yeah, but aren't they a part of the same army? No. One are Gundabad orcs, and one are Moria orcs. But both are led by Azog and Bolg. Oh uh, yeah. So it's the same well, army, right? Split in infinity. Well, we've got Ironfoot dwarves, and we've got Erebor. Dwarves. Well, then the fifth army is the eagles. My eagles. Where were the goblins though? I don't know. Well, the goblins are supposed to be that fifth army. Dead. Dead. Oh, yeah. The goblins did They're all dead. (laughs) They're not coming back to Gandalf. That darn bridge killed them all. (laughs) I mean, it was a long way down. Um, Jimmy Nesbitt was funny when he said, well, that was all right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, In the mountain, Dwalin attempts to reason with Thorin, who has become more disillusioned and angry. Thorin threatens to kill him if he does not leave. Dwalin does so disappointed. Yes, Joel? The f- in the film, the armies are as follows. The men from Lake Town under Bard. The elves from Mirkwood under Thranduil. 
The dwarves from the Iron Hills under Dane, the orcs from Gondor under Azog, and the orcs slash goblins from Gundabad under Bolg. Well, now you're missing the dwarves from Erebor. Well, you just said the dwarves go he with... Said, he, but here's the thing. He said, he said orcs slash goblins, so there is goblins in there. So wait. Is it saying then maybe the title of the five armies, it's the battle for the land and the Thorin and all of them, they're like not counted for it. Here's what it actually was. Since they're already there, they're king of the hill. The battle of the five armies was actually the men, the elves, the dwarves. Spartan 117 was really good at battle of the hill. The, it was five, of the hill. it was five races. Yeah. Yeah. Men, goblins, orcs, and elves. Yeah. Why? Here's the reason why they got the goblins out of there. They had established Azog and Bulg, and they had to have those two. They had already built up those characters. They have to write them in to have significant moments. That's true. And so you have Bulg be the opposite of Azog and deliver a fifth army, but you get rid of the goblins, and in doing so, many people had a problem with, I see only four armies. No, I'm not not saying you're wrong. No. But yeah, I think they were thinking it was orcs and goblins under Bulg. And yeah, so... That's what happens when you split hairs. Becomes dander. <laughs> Thorin goes down to the gallery of kings and walks over the hardened gold floor where he had tried to trap Smog. Don't slip. I was gonna say, this is like an <laughs> ice rink where like you put your foot on first just to make sure it's not melted. <laughs> exactly. He hallucinates, seeing the dragon swimming beneath him, as well as himself sne- sinking into the gold. All we need is... I'm going to hear that every time I see that scene now. (laughs) All we need is a dwarf in a bikini now. Thorin snaps out of it. Get that out of your eye socket, sir. (laughs) Everybody at this table just pictured a dwarf woman in a bikini. And shook their heads. Thorin snaps out of it and overcomes his madness. (laughs) Using using a giant bell as a wrecking ball. He used it like a wrecking ball. Yeah, good try. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) The dwarves smashed through the wall they built across the gate into the mountain and emerged to join the fight. It's a pretty nice entrance. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I would do that. Bard sends the women and children to safety while the men fight. He hands Alfred a sword, but the coward is more concerned about staying hidden and getting some treasure. Is this where where he's dressed like a woman? Yeah. It's Uh, when he decides to dress as a woman. He's a man of many talents. (laughs) Meanwhile, many innocent civilians are slaughtered in the battle. Harsh to watch. With Dwalin, Feely, and Keeley, his best warriors, Gandalf says, Thorin resolves to ride to the top of Raven Hill, the orc's command post, and kill Azog. He knows that the loss of their leader will make it possible to defeat the orcs. Uh, Logic I don't understand. Okay. Why does... Like, how? Can you explain it to me? Explain what? If you kill the leader, how does it make it impossible to, or possible to beat the other 10,000 orcs that because are Because they're disorganized. It's this idea that the only reason that they're winning is because he's splintering his factions and sending them to various things. If you lose your leader in any military battle that has overall strategy, now all of your commanders are just fighting to what's in front of them. And between dust and the fighting and the chaos, you have no idea what's going on, and you could turn around and suddenly be surrounded. Gotcha. So it is much easier to defeat an army, and that's ancient military tactics. History guy. Yeah, if, if you if you lose an aerial or overall view, of, it's why most lead commanders never actually fight. They stay back and watch so they can see what's happening and tell commanders, if you watch 
from within the battlefield like everybody wants in really good movies, you're not going to win a whole lot because you can't see the whole board, to use a chess term. No, I like the chess terms. Uh, elsewhere, Legolas and Toriel return. Thranduil finds Toriel going off to help the dwarves and warn them of Bolg's army, but Thranduil doesn't think they are worth it and believes her love for Keeley isn't real. Toriel holds her bow and arrow to Thranduil, but he says, okay. <laughs> Legolas stands in the way to defend her. They join forces with Bilbo, who made it through the battle with the One Ring and go off to warn their friends. Yay. The heroes because find... It's perfect. It... <laughs> it's because I gave up doing notes at this point. <laughs> <laughs> the heroes find the orcs, but in the chaos, Bilbo is knocked unconscious while Feely is impaled by Azog. Enraged, Keeley runs to the top of the tower, decapitating nearly every orc in his path. He comes before Bolg as Toriel joins in the fight. Bolg overpowers her and throws her against the wall. Keeley comes to her defense. We've yeah, you missed you missed Feely's death. No, I said it. Feely's oh. impaled by Azog. Oh, gotcha. Sorry, impaled. It's not a Disney film, JC. No, it's not Disney. I'm trying to remember this. Do you remember, was this a billboard Azog holding, uh, what's her name? Toriel? Yes, by the throat. It was a billboard, and people had a big thing about how, how could you do that to a female warrior on a billboard? Was uh, that, wasn't there controversy about something like that? I don't Google it. On it. Because she's a badass, that's why. She can hold her own. So we're all equals. What? So we're all equals. No, she's definitely stronger than I am. Just yeah, throwing that out there. Immortal. Yeah. Uh, Can't do it. Gotcha. Keely comes to her defense, but Bulg stabs him through the heart. Toriel watches him die. In her fury, she grabs onto Bulg and pulls him down the edge of a precipice. Legolas watches from a distance and gropes for an arrow, but he's all out. Don't you hate it when you can't perform when you absolutely have to? <laughs> you know what's funny? I give this movie props for losing arrows. He's out of arrows. Avengers, pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, he loses. He he reaches back and he's out. Once. It happens one time so, in all of his appearances. <laughs> Hawkeye's, Hawkeye learns from his mistakes later. He gets a giant orc to ram a tower that falls and forms a bridge, letting him run to Toriel's aid. Do you want to talk about the dancing Legolas? Hey, it's no worse than the dancing barrel rider. <laughs> <laughs> Is this where he skateboards down? No, that that's, is in, Lord of the Rings. that's in Two Towers. Okay. You said that wrong. Nothing's better than the dancing barrels. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he said that wrong. We all make mistakes. It's fine. Let's <laughs> go on with the movie. I can't find the poster or the billboard. Okay. I'm sorry. He battles Bolg on the crumbling tower, adroitly running up cascades of falling debris. What the hell's adroitly mean? From atop on the icy falls, he sees Thorin, weaponless, nearly killed by an orc. That so, was a serious question. I don't know what adroitly means. You've got a computer in front of you right now. How do you spell it? <laughs> IT. So Legolas throws his sword into the orc's chest. Thorin retrieves the sword from the body and continues to fight with it. Legolas takes clever. out. Clever. His- Why couldn't he just say clever? <laughs> He was an English teacher. That's true. Legolas takes out his <laughs> knives and drives one into Bulg's head. Sorry, cleverly. It should have been an adverb. <laughs> Mind you, I'm writing the synopsis. They're on something completely different because, let's be honest, nobody gives a shit anymore about this movie. I care. Uh, the orc falls to the top. <laughs> Are you saying I'm nobody? <laughs> Which crumbles completely. Offense taken. He hits the <laughs> He hits the ground and is crushed by a piece of the tower. That's I'm noticing that a lot of things fall on people in this series. Gravity yeah. exists. Physics may not. But <laughs> <laughs> kind of a part of physics. Isn't I was going to say, 
physics only exists because of gravity. Mm. Part, yeah, yes and no. Who says so? Science. <laughs> well, I don't know him. But or well, well, you can get into it later. My response was fair. <laughs> Dinosaurs are reptiles. We'll talk about that. <laughs> Thorin battles Azog on a frozen pool above the icy falls. He clearly didn't watch Batman Begins. Nope. Azog swings his... 1960s. Oh, I missed something. I'm sorry. I forgot something. Radagast and Bayorn swoop in on the Great Eagles as they take down the rest of the orcs. Bayorn morphs into his bear form and runs the orcs down. Tight. Yep. Thorin battles Azog on a frozen pool above the icy falls. Azog swings his chained boulder to try and slam Thorin, only to break the ice around him. Doesn't the chained boulder thing seem like one of the worst weapons you could possibly have? I've Probably. thought about that often. Yeah, you don't have a lot of a uh, reach. No. like it, and gonna But it looks cool. True. I always thought that that in the, uh, was it Michelangelo? The nunchucks? Or, no, not the nunchucks. Which uh, Ninja the Turtle had the little... The size? The size? Yeah. Raphael, the Raphael, most badass. Yeah. yeah, but it's like, I mean, how far can you really reach? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can throw. The stick would just go pop, pop, pop. Yeah. What was that again? Pop, pop. <laughs> One more time for those in the back. Yeah, for those that are watching at home. <laughs> pop, pop. <laughs> There's a reason we don't make this a YouTube video. <laughs> Thorin watches Azog float. Oh, I'm sorry. Thorin grabs the boulder and throws it at Azog, causing him to sink into the water. Thorin watches Azog float by him beneath the ice, seemingly dead. What? Until the orc opens his eyes, stabs Thorin in the foot. Hate this scene. Ow, that I do too. And bursts through the ice. So mad. Now, what made you mad about this? Because I don't like how it ended. You thought you deserved a better death? No, like, yeah, I guess. I this know. is like, for me, this is like the aliens when Paul Reiser dies. I'm like, that's how, come on. No, I also believe he deserved a better death. Like, not on a, on a, on a frozen waterfall. Like, just have him die in the middle of a battlefield. Like, have it be like, I can, yeah. yeah. But of course, in the appendices, their whole argument is they didn't want to do that because that seemed like too common and they needed to make it great. That's grandiose. how his dad dies. Mm -hmm. Ooh, what if he slips on the ice and just hits his head? And oh, you guys are talking about Thorin. I'm talking about Azog. Oh, oh, no! I didn't like Thorin's death. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't like Azog's death. I was like, I you just built him like... up for three moves. You you added this character in this for this, and this is how he went out. Come on, yeah, by being stupid and going th forward with his pride and his hubris. He thought he was stronger. He thought he was smarter, and he died due to his stupidity and due to the fact that he wasn't strong enough. Same thing with Smog. Would you and when you've liked it though, if when he gets up there. Thorin grabs that boulder thing, swings it, and knocks his head off his shoulders. That would have been cool. Then his foot would have gotten stabbed. But that's he, okay because he dies in a different spoilers. way on the battlefield in the book. Yeah, they do go back and talk about it, don't they? Mm-hmm. He's found with arrows and all this stuff inside of him. He's done on the battlefield. They couldn't do it because they'd already done it for what's his nuts from uh, Fellowship of the Ring. <laughs> Damn it! I'm totally blanking on this guy's name. Oh, um. Yes. Yeah, the no. guy that always dies in every movie. Sean, Sean Bean? Sean Bean's character. <laughs> Who the... Scene Bean. Who is Ned Stark. <laughs> no! <laughs> but yes, he died too. Crap! <laughs> Beowulf. No, it's not no. that. No. Boromir. Thank Boromir, you. Boromir, thank you. That was what pissed me <laughs> off. I they hated that scene as a kid. They couldn't... Oh, it freaked me out. It's so hard um, to Yeah, they couldn't do the, like, filled with arrows because Boromir died that way. Okay. <laughs> Everybody can die in the same way sometimes. But Thorin holds him back. However, realizing the orc is too strong, Thorin lets Azog impale him until he has a clear moment to kill the orc. Thorin drives his sword through Azog's body into the ice as the orc finally dies. 
Orc on Ice. Oh, I like it. <laughs> Do work on that one for No, a I just thought of it. <laughs> I'm proud of myself right now. <laughs> Thorin walks over to watch the rest of the battle. He collapses as Bilbo comes by his side. Thorin says he is sorry to Bilbo for how he acted and for what he's put him through. He acknowledges Bilbo's friendship before he dies. Bilbo weeps for his fallen friend. The surviving dwarves come and kneel beside Thorin. Legolas tells Thranduil that he is leaving the kingdom. Thranduil tells his son to look for one of the Dunedain, a man who is referred to as Strider. Uh, from, the, from the original? You're shaking your head, JC. I'm just saying, like, I need to watch. I haven't watched Fellowship for a while, and having watched this, I need to be like, are they setting him up to look like an idiot? Oh, Legolas? Yeah. This is something where I, I, I don't think you needed to connect the dots here because... I don't either. Doesn't the Hobbit... How f- how far back is the Hobbit from the Lord of the Rings in years? Sixty. It happened sixty years before Frodo. So, if that's the case, wouldn't Strider? Strider would be in his twenties, which means that in Lord of the Rings he's in his eighties. Yeah, Strider's a man. No, did you not know that? Am I doing a huge spoiler for you? Uh, I think we're doing a huge spoiler for me because that's not in the movies. And everyone at home, <laughs> spoilers ahead. The Dunedain are are of the men of the north. Hold on, let me find their name because there's a certain men. All right, the Duna Numenorians. That's the name I was looking for. The Dunedain are descendants of the Numenorians. The Numenorians were the first men. Okay, like at the creation of the world, you had the elves, the dwarves. The first <laughs> men, their lives were as long as elves. Okay, so it says they're. The, Oh, sorry. 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 I was just going to say, they lived long as elves used to. And then slowly they lost their life, like their length of life shortened and shortened. So he is instantly identified as the Dunedain whenever in Two Towers you have crap. What is Aram? Boromir. No. (laughs) Faramir. Eowyn. Eowyn. Thank you. When Eowyn finds out that. Uh, Strider fought with her grand or her father. She is blown away because she's like, that would make you 60, 80. And that's when we find out he's 80 years old. That's and, an extended then, because all we hear is that all we hear is that in the theatrical is that she fought, he fought with her grandfather. Yeah. No, there's a whole other. Lo- yeah. So the Dunedain live long lives because they are descendants of the Numenor. Average lifespan, 150 to 180 years, which is why it's not crazy to fall in love with an elf. <laughs> which is also why there's a bunch of jokes within there like even though he'll live a long life for a human like that sort of tips of the hats to the fact that he's Numenorian hardy, hardy, he, hardy. He's, a, he's a descendant of the ancient race of humans so there you go everybody so yeah he would be 20 years old when this is going on so that explains a lot so relatively because rel- I saw that as you're shoehorning an idea that doesn't belong now but now that you said that oh no chronologically it works perfect now that you say that about the Duna Dunedine. The Nimodians. Numenorians. Nimodians. <sighs> Is Newt Gunray in there? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> his, his Are ele- the Gungans there? His and Legolas <laughs> makeup may have been by the same person. <laughs> Who would have known his lifespan would have been longer than Viggo Mortensen's career? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but he was in... Oh, man. He was in, he was in what? <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. I he, just, Viggo Mortensen is actually very, he was in Captain Eastern Fantastic. Eastern Promises. That was it. Eastern Promises, yeah, which is a damn good movie. And Captain Fantastic is oh, awesome. Captain Fantastic. Did you think Fantastic? about a history of violence? Cra- did you say yeah, Well, Crapton I was trying Fantastic. to move on to. I even liked Hidalgo, even though it was a Disney-ish movie. Hidalgo was really good. Okay. After Legolas leaves, Thranduil finds Toriel crying over Keeley's body. She rejects love and asks why it hurts so much. Thranduil responds. Real. 
Because it was real. Hey, I love that. You mock it, but that was... That, that was, was so cheesy. Oh. Toriel kisses Keely's lips. Mozzarella. Implants to properly bury him. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Bilbo leaves the mountain. Into, I got it as soon as I started. As soon as I said, I was like, okay. Bilbo leaves the mountain and tells Balin to tell the dwarves goodbye for him. He turns around to find them standing behind him. Bilbo properly bids them farewell and invites them to come by his home should they ever find themselves traveling toward Bag End. <laughs> Give me oh, tears. you got to be kidding me. Give me tears, man. I hate goodbyes. <laughs> I just can't do it. Gandalf guides Bilbo back to the borders of the Shire. He knows that Bilbo had the ring with him, but Bilbo claims he lost it. Don't lie now. <laughs> Gandalf provides him with a word of caution before but they it's depart. The, it's the ring of power. It makes you do things you wouldn't normally do, but like lie. Said, he has one, too. You judgmental son of a bitch. Not the sin <laughs> Not ring. Not the same one. <laughs> it's a he, ring of power. His is a good ring of power. But he doesn't know it's the which ring of power no, it is. No, he doesn't. He he thinks that, that, I honestly think that Gandalf thinks Bilbo has one of the dwarf lord rings. You said that last time, yeah. Yes. I think he does not, I don't think, he figures out that it is the one ring until we see that scene with the fireplace in Fellowship. I think he knows Bilbo has a ring of power. I think he thinks it's one of the dwarven ones. Possibly given to him by either Thorin or somebody else at some point. Uh, Gandalf provides him with a word of caution before they depart. And now we get to my final, my favorite scene. When Bilbo gets close to Bag End, he sees people walking off with his belongings. Oh, I love this <laughs> Since scene, Since he was too. presumed dead, his belongings are being auctioned off. They got an auctioneer stand. <laughs> he demands they have them back while trying to find something that proves his identity. He hands the auctioneer the contract he'd signed with Thorin's company, and he goes inside his hole, takes out the ring. Oh, by the way, he left with his forks. He got his forks. These are my silverware. <laughs> this is my favorite scene in the whole movie because I can only imagine being gone for... He was gone for probably a year. A year, and they were just like, ah, he's dead. Where was Frodo? That is, yeah, where was Frodo? Frodo was a kid. Yeah, he's little, right? Yeah, Frodo Frodo wasn't, yeah, Frodo wasn't in he's the He's not picture. born yet. No. Okay. Because I think Frodo's only like 40 whenever Lord of the Rings starts. So yeah, he wouldn't be born for another 20 years. The final scene shows the older Bilbo holding the ring in his hand. There's a knock at the door. Bilbo says, he wants no visitors, but jumps up when he hears Gandalf's voice. Not even old friends. He goes to the door to greet his old friend, and the last thing we see is Thorin's map of Erebor, thus beginning the very first scene of the second Middle-Earth trilogy of The Lord of the Rings, and credits roll with Billy Boyd singing a song. That was not the song. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, according to the good people at Rotten Tomatoes, it has a tomato rating of 59%, but the critic score which is the average rating the critics gave this film, is a 6.3 out of 10, so it's a little bit higher. The audience score is a 3.9 out of 5, which is close to an 80%. Yeah. So that's that, that, if you're looking at Rotten Tomatoes and looking at the score, 59%, that's what it actually means. I feel like I want to add this to all of our things just so that people understand. It's an aggregate. We are going to slam home what <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes means. What did you think after watching the film? Joel? I'll talk about more. I'll talk about it more in depth later. But I just like how everything finally gets pulled together, and you finally get resolution on a lot of different stuff that we talk about during the first and second movie. Uh, Joe, what do you think? Uh, can we start the Lord of the Rings yet? Oh, I need to get this taste out of my mouth. <laughs> harsh, JC, tugging on those heartstrings, man. <laughs> he loves it. He loves it so much. <laughs> Did the awards get it right? I know JC's going to say no. But uh, the Academy Awards, it was nominated for a award. 
best sound editing. American Sniper won. It was up against Birdman, The Hobbit. I'm surprised Interstellar, Interstellar didn't win. Unbroken. Interstellar won a bunch of other awards. So they're kind American of, Sniper was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah but I was just editing. thinking sound editing. All you got to do is like... <laughs> there you oh, go, sniper uh, shot. Alone though, 2014 was an amazing year for movies. Mm-hmm. It's Grand Budapest Hotel, Whiplash, Gone Girl, Birdman, Guardians of the Galaxy, Interstellar. You liked How to Train Your Dragon too, right? Oh, I loved it. That's there. <laughs> yeah. uh, Jason's favorite Edge of Tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, like that's the that's, that's the my outlier. favorite. What is um, it? Edge of Tomorrow. Tom, Tom Cruise. Oh, but Kings. I like. I have no idea what you're talking about now. I know. But Kingsman came out. Yep. X-Men Days of Future Past. Yeah. Lego movie. <gasps> Big Hero 6. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which I actually liked. Loved it. Foxcatcher. Imitation awesome. Game. Nightcrawler. That was a good that year. That was a great year. Winter Soldier. Yes! St. Vincent. <laughs> Fury. American Sniper. Um, Unbroken. 22 Jump Street. And, like, even getting into, like, goofier stuff. Neighbors came out, which was good. Um, and then this. <laughs> this thing. I mean, like, there are a lot more, <laughs> but I don't know if you all want I don't want like to... how you ended that sentence there, Tom. <laughs> uh, it wasn't nominated for any Golden Globes. What worked well in this movie for you and your favorite parts? Joel? Um, who? My favorite part of this movie is I do love the battles. The battles are always something the Lord of the Rings does well. I, I've seen the extended edition so many times that I don't know what was theatrical and what wasn't. If you go and watch the extended edition, the battle scene where they're on that little death machine, just tearing the up. The war machine? Yeah, I love that. Just tearing up all the orcs is so much fun to watch. Um, I love our boy, uh, Alfred. <laughs> <laughs> He's such a great heel. Um, but overall, my favorite part about this is the overlying um, theme of greed and pride. Joe? They gave closure to every character they introduced. The conversation between Bard and Thorin through the wall is awesome. That's one of my favorite parts. Uh, Balin's acting when it comes to Thorin's corruption is believable. Smog looks amazing in this, and the CG armies look pretty good. JC? The power of gold to change people, even the good and sweet Bofer. Uh, Dwalin still follows his orders despite knowing he's gone crazy. There's a shot of Dale overlooking the entrance to Erebor, and it's beautiful. And I wish it was my background on every computer I owned. <laughs> the shots of, does he have it with the Arkenstone? You have like Martin Freeman acting like he he has it, then he doesn't have it. The acorn and all of that scene. I loved all of those. Uh, Freeman's acting throughout the whole thing is a masterclass. The fight between Sauron and Elrond, and we get to see how badass Galadriel really is. Her reaction to the ring and fellowship makes so much more sense now. The whole scene connects to Lord of the Rings. Ken Stott is a genius in this movie. How cool would it be to walk into Dale as a history geek, seeing the destruction, knowing the stories? I know that sounds twisted, but maybe that's what historians are. People awkwardly loving the past. <laughs> uh, I loved all of Beaufort and Bilbo's scenes. They're just touching. Uh, watching the elves work together as an, as an army. Hell, the specific characteristics of each army. Every time I watch the elves jump over the dwarves, I get I get cheers. When the goats charge, all I heard was, Greeks are dying! Row! Row, you bastards! <laughs> um, when Bomber blows the horn, yeah, it's cheesy, but it's awesome, and I get chills when he does it every when he does it every time. Uh, every death to me feels like a loss. Keeleys, feelies, then even Thorins. I do love 
watching Biffer loses loses axe, which I think is not in the theatrical cut, but you actually see him lose his axe and it goes to a, a, a orc. And Bombor runs and gets in. He's like, here you go, cousin. And he looks at him and in perfect common tongue says, I can tell you right where to put that. And then he just <laughs> runs off. Thrandriel's words to Toriel, neither were in the book, but that whole scene is just so true in terms of love. And Gandalf fiddling with his pipe to let us know we have to get back to normalcy after this horrible tragedy. I love that scene. Nice. All right, what didn't work for you guys? Let's give it the land blasting it deserves. A good hammering! <laughs> <laughs> um, the only thing that doesn't work for me in this movie is, again, the arrow zipping past the kid's head. That bothers me every time. And I say that, and it's not even a big deal, but it doesn't work for me every single time. Yeah. I get it. Had he not done it, then the dragon would have eaten his son or burned him alive. So I guess he's like, oh, a few burns on the neck is better than burns on the entire body. Am I right? <laughs> Um, he'll live <laughs> and I'm torn between the second thing that doesn't work in this movie which is what I get back to in two and one is the CGI and I thought about it this week in the car and you thought about the CGI in the car I did okay um, <laughs> I don't know if I would have enjoyed these movies as much if everything would have been done with costumes and everything like it was in the original trilogy I like the fact that this movie is much more lighthearted, and I like that Everything is much more like fantasy-esque and pleasing in that way. I don't like that it took you guys having to tell me that that one dwarf wasn't CGI. (laughs) I mean, I don't know how many times I've seen this movie, but there are just, it almost got too fancy in parts. And I do love, again, how pretty this was and how much more like visually pleasing it was than the darker, than the dark original trilogy. But there's something about getting a little too fancy that gets me. What about you, Joe? Uh, for me, too many storylines to close up. Uh, I thought it lost focus from Bilbo. Uh, it is called The Hobbit, and he's in the movie for 24 minutes. Oh, that's depressing. That's not yeah, enough. He's not in a lot of it. Mm-mm. When you think about it, Frodo was in his third movie, 42 minutes. Uh, so, got cheaped out. In fact, Thorne had more screen time than Bilbo did. Eh. So. Stories. You could take any scene dealing with Sauron, remove it from the movie, and have it be a featurette for Lord of the Rings. I know. I'm not saying delete it. I'm saying still use it for something else. He's saying else. you could. Uh, smog scene is too short. Battle scene is too long. And Billy Boy singing at the end. What are you attacking Billy Boy for? I'm We're just, sorry, Billy. <laughs> JC? In case you listen to this show. <laughs> um... <laughs> literally um <laughs> well that's because when i first saw it i was gonna be like nothing <laughs> but but that's a lie there is stuff i completely agree the battle gets too long like literally the battle like what by the time they start fighting outside of moria to when thorin dies is an hour and a half yeah. by itself that's a long time the fighting in Dale, where Bard can easily find his kids. Like, <laughs> have you seen them? Oh, yeah, they're down by the, the market. The market's just been overrun. <laughs> what? <laughs> Granted, I got to give honest trailers a little bit of a tip of the hat for that. But it, uh, but ever since I've heard that, I watched that scene. I'm like, bullshit. Like, <laughs> no, you wouldn't instantly find your kids like that. Yay, movie magic. <laughs> and uh, let's plan fighting strategy based solely on getting my kids back. Um, 
Because then he starts giving orders based on where he thinks his kids are. But to be completely honest, y- yeah, I'd do that. If I was like in his <laughs> shoes and like I thought where my kids were, all right, we're going to go fight right over there right now. Let's go. I don't care about the armory. We're going this way because that's where my kids are. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Who is the audience for this movie, fellers? I mean, same as the same as the ones before. Tolkien fans, obviously. This is a much more. This is. Are they electric? Or battery operated. Yes. <laughs> um, this is less for kids than the first movie. So I'm going to say it's a, definitely for a more mature audience that or I'm just used to watching the extended edition, which is rated R. Yeah. Um, but I people that want to have the resolution from this whole series need to watch this movie. Because it was not clear enough with all of the shininess. It, the shiny. <laughs> uh, what about you, Joe? Uh, completionists. Die-hard Middle-earth fans who love appendices and extras and just want more, 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 more. This is for you. About damn time I got a movie for me. (laughs) (laughs) And JC, who's the audience for this movie for you? Adults. (laughs) (laughs) No, I agree with everything you guys just said, but yeah, adults, kids should not watch this movie. This was another one of those movies where I had to watch it in a short time crunch. And literally, as soon as I put it in, you have the opening with Smaug, and like the boy comes walking. I'm like, uh, pause. <laughs> and of course, I pause it right as Smaug has his mouth open and is like setting somebody on fire. And the boy goes, What's that? And I'm like, Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> and so, like, I'm like, We're going to go play with your trains for a little bit. Let's go. <laughs> All right. Movie report card, gentle of men. A, B, C, D, or F in the epic fantasy film genre, Joe of L. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. The thing that I love about this movie is, I'm probably going to say for the third time because it's the third movie, that what this does is it ties up all of the loose strings that made the other movies a B+. Go back, listen to the things that I've said of like, this didn't need to be here. This didn't need to be here. I don't know why they did this. The third movie puts those in play to where you say, this is why they did this. And it works in this third movie. The thing that I can't get past and I don't understand is I don't get how three B plus movies can make an A trilogy. It's like two. It's not it's not a negative, but it's the whole two negatives make a positive. Yeah, I don't understand how like three movies that are not perfect in my eyes make a trilogy that's perfect agree or disagree this movie is more than i think it's so much more watchable than the original trilogy i like how it's just more lighthearted. it has still has a great story that you can have a few several jumping points off of if you want to focus on the love story you have that if you want to talk about greed it has that joe's shaking his head and he looks like he's to have a stroke but <laughs> I'm, I'm not the only one. Um, and that's what makes it okay. The other one's at the table. <laughs> I No, I've plenty of people. Now, granted, if you're going into this looking for Lord of the Rings, then don't watch it. This is not the Lord of the Rings. It sets up the Lord of the Rings, and it does it in a fine way. I mean, but it looks it's, good. It's fine. It still has a great story, and when you put all three movies together, it works. Who do we cheer for? I don't think it's a who that you're cheering for in this movie. I think that you're cheering for resolution, not just in wanting a movie to be done, but you're wanting people to just get along and understand that the reason that they're fighting is over something that's dumb. It's greed. It is pride. And so the thing that you're cheering for the whole time is you're cheering, you're cheering for somebody to finally step up and say, this has to stop. 
And it sucks that it takes Thorin's death in the end for him to finally realize that. But that's what it is. And so at the end, you're able to breathe deeper because most some people are alive. (laughs) Most some. (laughs) I want to say most, uh, not all. (laughs) A lot of people died in this movie. But to me, the fact that this movie solves what made the others a B plus, that makes this movie an A. It's, yeah, it's an A. Joe? Okay. This is a letdown in many ways. To set the stage for my grade, let me preface that with saying a few things about this trio of movies and the enormous undertaking it was for Peter Jackson to follow the Lord of the Rings. From a behind-the-scenes or making-of standpoint, I can only imagine the pressure that was on Peter Jackson to do another trilogy of movies, especially as good as the Lord of the Rings, because that's the in thing to do now. Everything has to be a trilogy now. In fact, I'm going to give Jackson a lot of positive credit here because he did what he could with what I think he was ordered to do from up on high. I think Jackson did what most directors do in his position, which is claim the decision was his own. But you can be sure that if Jackson had his way, there would have been two stories tops like Guillermo del Toro wanted. When the studio stepped in and demanded three movies, I think he realized he could tie it together with preludes, appendices, and references to Lord of the Rings to beef up the movie. Jackson used good pieces in that way to continually reference his original trilogy to try to make this feel like Lord of the Rings. There is just one problem. This is not the Lord of the Rings. You marketed this as The Hobbit, not Lord of the Rings. And it wasn't marketed in the trailers as the Middle Earth saga until this film. When your main character, Bilbo Baggins, the titular character, is only in the films for one hour and 58 minutes of film out of nearly eight hours and 54 minutes, you have lost sight of the story. We talked about how amazing Martin Freeman is, but they literally used him less and less with each film. In this film, he's in the movie for a total of 24 minutes and 30 seconds. To be clear, the main character of The Lord of the Rings, Frodo, was on screen for 42 minutes in his third movie. Thorin is the only character on screen longer than Bilbo at 26 minutes. So to think in percentages here, your main character is in the movie for only 17% of the runtime. How does that happen? Okay. It was ambitious for Jackson to take the story of the Hobbit and tie it to the Lord of the Rings. In order to do this, he had to insert scenes that didn't necessarily happen in the Hobbit. Tolkien wrote the Hobbit. It was successful. He tried to do a sequel. It never got off the ground. He took a break. Then he wrote Lord of the Rings 17 years later for adults that built around the lore of the Hobbit. And then he retroactively went back and added appendices and whatnot to end to the end of the Hobbit. Literally after the story, the end in the back pages of this is the appendices to tie it to the Lord of the Rings. He didn't try to jam them into the book. He put them to the side. Jackson directed the Lord of the Rings. Then he and his writers tried to combine the appendices and the novel into one property with The Hobbit. This has never been done before, as far as I know. That's why it is so ambitious. So, in order for Jackson to try to meld the two properties, Lord of the Rings and Hobbit, he had to add in the stories or add to the references in the source material about Galadriel and Gandalf, Keeley and Toriel, Bard and his family, Azog and his son Bolg, Saruman and Sauron, Radagast the Brown, and of course, the reference to Aragorn near the end of the movie. The biggest problem with this film is an example of something I said last show. When you try to make simple things more complicated, 
all you do is overcomplicate things. They had built a lot of characters in the previous two movies. But in this third movie, you have to resolve all those arcs. This movie felt like they were trying to close out all these stories at the same time. Because of this, the ending where Bilbo says goodbye to the dwarves doesn't hit you in the same way as Aragorn telling the hobbits they bow to no one. I think if Peter Jackson had just stuck to the story rather than add all the appendices, he would have had a great two-movie saga on par with The Lord of the Rings. After all, the, the pieces that are of the dwarves and of Bilbo are great. You don't need anything more than that. But this movie was Jackson's Frankenstein's monster. He tried to create one thing based on several sources and ended up losing control of it in the end, I think. Now, I get if you are a Middle-earth head that you probably enjoyed this movie to the full, uh, full hilt. And I, I cannot fault you for that. If I was someone who was knee-deep in uh, lore for, say, Harry Potter, yeah, I would want more and more and more and more. And I wouldn't care what the critics think. Okay, I just wouldn't. But for the casual watcher, for me, the casual watcher, because I was a Lord of the Rings fan. I thought I was a diehard fan until I watched these movies. Not enough is explained for the casual watcher. In the end, I only counted four armies in the dwarves, elves, man, and the orcs. It wasn't until I looked it up on Google that I found out that Bolg's group of orcs was supposed to be separate from Azog's group of orcs. So it was supposed to be two separate armies in that way. If Jackson had stuck with goblins, like the source material, it would have made for less confusion. You could actually see the differences between the goblins and the orcs. Um, characters like Dane come out of nowhere and, and steal the scenes they are in with characters that you are supposed to have grown fond with over the past two movies. And it's really hard to root on any side of this war because everyone is siding with greed. Yes, the CGI battles look great. I think we can all agree that if there's anything Jackson has perfected, it's the CGI battles showing a whole war field. The dwarves have more to do in this film until the battle starts. After that, I think they're pretty interchangeable. Outside of Thorin, of course. And, and Thorin really does the best job of going full, bull, full bore jerk in this film. But I don't understand why the dwarves are still by his side when this is happening. All this kind of adds up to why I'm going to give it the grade that I'm going to give at the end of here. I give him a lot of points for trying something here. But to me, it just doesn't work. If it's the final movie in a part one of a saga, I don't think it does its job. If it's a third part of a six-part saga, it, it doesn't work as well for me as another third movie I know called Revenge of the Sith. This movie gives closure to all the storylines but it's not edited in a way that makes the casual viewer care about any of it. In fact, I'm sure I'm not the only one who thinks this after watching this film. Now I want to watch The Lord of the Rings and see how it is supposed to be done. I'm giving this a D. It is not an F. I'm giving it a D, but I'm also very optimistic about what's around the corner. I know I've beaten up The Hobbit here, but I think The Lord of the Rings are just so far above what these movies are. I'm really looking forward to that group of films because if you think I'm going to bash all these films, I am not going to. I think The Lord of the Rings ones are fantastic. And uh, I'm really looking forward to getting to those because I've got some pretty high grades to give those movies. JC? This movie is about friendship. Yes, it tells a tale about gold and dragons and sets up Lord of the Rings really well. But if you look at this movie and the others... The, th the others of The Hobbit, the central theme is friendship. How do we react with, to, 
and against our friends. This movie tells you what happens in every scenario. Everything else is ever is entertaining, but if you care about friendship, watch this movie with that at the heart of what it being about. This movie is for adults, and I think adults get wrapped up in dealing with themselves, their work, their lives, their problems. This movie reminds us when we face troubles with friends, for me, that makes it an A. Okay. Uh, so a D and two A's. A D and two A's. Add a. Add a. Okay. What's next? What does that average it out to? So if we average our grades here for the Battle of the Five Armies in the Epic Fantasy Pantheon, it gets a B average. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So that puts it in third place amongst everybody. So we have Troy in first with an A, The Hobbit, The Desolation of Smaug with B plus, The Hobbit, The Battle of the Five Armies with a B, and The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey with a B minus, and then Labyrinth bringing up the rear with a C minus. We still got two more spots open in this pantheon. We've got three more movies in the the Tolkien saga with the Lord of the Rings movies. So we'll see where we pan out at the end of this thing and uh, whether or not Labyrinth may be seeing its demise. All right. Uh, if if this movie was released on Blu-ray, would you buy it, bid it, stream it, borrow it, or forget about it? Joel? Bought it. <laughs> Bought it like the day it came out. <laughs> like totes my goats, uh, man. Borrow it just because you've invested time in the first two and you'll need some closure, and I haven't said forget about it on the other two yet, so <laughs> if I had said it, I would have said forget about this one, but borrow it. All right. JC? Buy the extended edition. Have you been listening to me at all? <laughs> Did you really have to ask me? Yes. Facepalm. You didn't know? Facepalm. Buy the extended edition. That's all we've got time for our Movie Planeteers. Next show, we will continue our look at the Tolkien saga with The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. You can email the Movie Planet using the address movieplanetpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Overcast, Podbean, or Spotify, and give us a four or five-star review. Like us on Facebook, Twitter, and follow the Instagram. The opinions expressed on the Movie Planet podcast are those of the individual hosts. The Movie Planet podcast is not affiliated with, prepared for, approved, or licensed by any entity that created any films discussed or reviewed herein. All movie clips and music included in the podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. Thanks for listening, and happy movie watching!